Welcome to the annual NHK broadcast of the Shogi International Tournament. I will be your professional commentator, Noah King Clue, while my fellow companion, classy man Lance's Lapelster, will explain about certain moves pulled off in tonight's game. It is my pleasure, Mr. Clue. I'm glad you could join us. Now, before we begin, we do have a couple of quick ground rules about tonight's broadcast. Very good, very good. One. The Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be appropriate for our younger viewers. Listener discretion is advised. It's quite vulgar. Also, there will be spoilers covering the entire first season of March Comes In Like a Lion. If you have not seen it or wish to go unspoiled, please be aware of this going in if you wish to remain unspoiled. Either leave or cork your ears. And finally, the opinions expressed tonight are those of the individual participants and do not reflect upon dub talk as a whole. Basically, we're saying this so we don't get sued. And with that, let us begin the match. We can see that player A has chosen to move his general into the defensive position, a very dangerous move for this early in the game. Turning things over to player B, who has taken the initiative to advance the queen into attack position. It's not looking good for player A's chance of success. Don't! Give up. Don't you give up now. You okay, just have okay. to try a little bit harder. No, 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 no. Please get down from that table. Don't please. give up. Think of all the people around you and the people cheering you on right now. Look at us. I'm freezing my ass on this table right here. I'm up here talking about a goddamn board game. You have to just try. You can surely accomplish your goal. Okay, my, my companion has apparently lost his cool momentarily. Um, audience, please excuse us while we administer the proper procedure for dealing with this compassion. In the meantime, please enjoy tonight's match. March comes in like a lion. That's why you should never give up! Security! Hello, fellow players. Tonight, we at the Dub Talk Championships will be commentating over an impressively heart-wrenching game of Shogi tonight, as challenger Rei Kiriyama faces off against the current holder of the title of the champion belt, Crippling Depression. As we begin our discussion of this beautiful tale of sadness, perseverance, and learning to love yourself and be loved by others. That's right, we're here to discuss Studio Shaft's March Comes In Like a Lion. Joining me for commentary tonight are several trusted compatriots of mine, Jet, Noah Clue, I'm just here for the horrible dad puns that I know all of you came to listen to, and Megan. So nice to watch a Shaft show where nobody ends up in the hospital with a broken neck. And nobody okay, ends up, ends, nobody, uh, and nobody ends up in a crucifixion position either. Nobody gets horny with a toothbrush yet. <laughs> yet. Season two, mate. Toothbrush. <laughs> oh lordy. It's not that kind of show, Megan. I know. For once, we found the shaft show that wasn't horny. Here's a okay. This is a this is a show I've been uh, wanting to talk about for a very long time now, and as soon as I saw it got a dub, I was excited, and especially extra excited soon as I saw that this was going to be streaming on Crunchyroll. 
So the dub of this show is available for legal streaming on Crunchyroll, in case any of you have seen it. But, for those of you who may not be familiar with the show, March Comes Like a Lion is a story about a high school professional shogi player named Rei Kiriyama, and about his everyday life trying to compete in the world of professional shogi, also while dealing with his own personal traumas, issues, all with the help of friends and the lovely Kawamoto sisters, who... This is a, this is a show, when I first watched it, it really meant a lot to me when I first watched it. It's... It's really hard to quite explain what it's like without really going into it. It's, simply put, never has a show in my life ever made me feel so warm, sincere, loved, and hopeful one minute. And then a couple minutes later makes you feel the true pits of despair dread, self-loathing, loneliness, and crippling, crippling internal turmoil. Shogi it's... is a hell of a drug. Shogi is a hell of a drug. It's like, imagine on one shoulder is um, Nyagi, and on the other shoulder is Junko, and they keep fighting each other, and you're just caught in the middle. Which is a pretty apt descriptor for how actual high school is for a whole lot of people. So I'm not surprised that it really struck a chord with a lot of people. So so, so before we go any further, Andrew, can um, just really quickly, uh, for the, the players at home who may not know what Shogi is, can we explain what Shogi is to them? There's a very TLDR explanation for what Shogi is. Without going into a lot of the true semantics... It's a really it is, difficult Japanese-only game that us Westerners just can't possibly comprehend, right? It's Japanese chess. It, it's chess. It, it is it's chess. Japanese chess. It's chess with Scrabble tiles. That is all it is, really. I like the fact that you describe them as Scrabble tiles, because I can kind of see that now, but simply... They, they weren't good enough to get actual chess pieces. All they got are... like They're played with um, pentagonal-shaped tiles. Either way, they sound really good. They sound really cool when you click them against the against the the wood. They it's do. really neat. I, yeah, I just heard simple. somebody honk outside, and all I can think about in my head is honk if you like shogi. <laughs> yeah, I'll give full credit to the audio department. This wasn't even dubbed. This was original Japanese. That they make the clicking of the wooden tiles on the shogi board sound really enticing. Yeah, it, it, it kind of it kind of reminds me of how it was done and how you heard it. I Which, saw a little bit of that back in the day, but it's been a minute. Uh, you, uh, you, you really should have been like this show. Which show? Uh, Hikaru no Go. Uh, no, I haven't yeah. seen that. Isn't Hikaru sure? no Go basically Yu-Gi-Oh with Go? Uh, kind of, but it's a, it, it kind of, but it, it's more of a like, straight drama. It's one of my favorite shows. It's really fantastic. Duly noted, but yeah, no, there's so many cool things about this show in regards to the sound design, the music, the v shots, and the compositions. However, we will go into that gradually for the night, but what we here are here to talk about is what we thought of the English dub and performances and localization of March Comes Like a Lion. And going off of there, 
first up on who we are discussing tonight are the ADR directors and writers in regards to the dub of March Comes Like a Lion. This is not a show any of us had any uh, guest predictions for, so this uh, is... <laughs> Some of us didn't <laughs> watch it. That's not true. I did, but I didn't have my <laughs> For the sake of tonight, for the sake of tonight, we are saying we did not make any... We do not have any prior uh, speculative impression predictions for the show, and we are just going through this as a full series review and discussion. Uh, no, I predicted that the entire cast would be reformed by the original Broadway version of the cast of Cats, the original Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. I also pre I also predict that I'm going to get duct tape for Noah's face in a couple of seconds. Don't remember, guys. Everybody on this episode is going to see each other in person in two months. I'm not saying we could knock Noah over the head, put him in a sleeping bag, and throw him into a pool, but... We have the option, hey. so to speak. Anyways, um, if if, um, if I don't survive this, um, for the police, for the police records, just look in the blueberry fields around my neighborhood for a dead body, okay? That's probably where I will be. <laughs> ah, you think we're going to let your body go back to Michigan? That's cute. <laughs> back on schedule. Uh, what Andrew? were we talking about? <laughs> what the f- Okay. Back on track, the ADR director and one of the two writers for this project is none other than Wendy Lee. What? Wendy Lee. Also, just to, to give a little bit of context, Noah literally watched this entire show yesterday, so he's finding out a lot of this for the first time. So his reactions are probably going to be very, very genuine. It was a, it was awful. It was like. Well, no, no, I'm not saying it was awful. It was, okay, all you people out there who have tried to marathon a series before, I don't recommend that. I really don't, because... You, yeah, you do really... not binge watch this show. It's a, it's very hard. It, it, it's yeah. a... Any other show would, would normally be difficult to marathon, just because, you know, you lose focus after a while, and you want to watch something different. This one in particular, wow. I don't know how Wendy did what she did with this, but wow, it is heavy material. So, But if you want to know what else Wendy has done in the past. She's the director for such projects as A Lull in the Sea, some of the Bleach anime, and the first two movies, Love Hina, Mega Man Star Force, and The Testament of Sister New Devil. One she of these things is not like the other. One of these things just <laughs> doesn't belong. She has also done, she's also done the scripts for A Lull in the Sea, Love Hina, and The Testament Sister New Devil, as well as stuff like Grenadier and Sakura Wars the movie. The other writer on this project is Marlon Moore, whose only other writing credits are for The Asterisk War and Episode 4 of Seven Deadly Sins, Signs of the Holy War. Now... Something tells me that that, that show is very different than this one. Uh, they're all three of those shows are completely different beasts. But, speaking of which, Jet, would you like to tell us what you thought of the ADR direction and script writing for March Comes Like a Lion? Okay, um, so my familiarity with Wendy Lee as a director mostly said to Bleach, um, you know, whatever I saw of Love Hita, like, way back when, and Alone in the Sea, the latter of which was a really fun drama, so obviously she's no stranger to that sort of thing. 
Um, the overall direction here is very solid, and while some parts of it sounded like a little too anime in the beginning, if that makes any sense, uh, Wendy Lee managed to produce a very natural sounding dub, and it's very good because this this show, you know, mainly involving characters dealing with day to day stuff and you know depression. Uh, so going really over the top of it would have hurt things. Uh, likewise, the script is very solid, and while you know it's not particularly notable on the adapted front. It manages to make all the heavy dialogue work without sounding stilted, and that's always appreciated. So, great job on both fronts. Alright, Noah. Yeah, I'll back that up, Jet, um, because this is, uh, there's, for all you people out there who listen to a whole lot of anime, you probably have heard various flavors of voice acting in the modern era. Like, we're talking about the, you know, the post-bebop simulcast era of dubbing, of English dubbing. And what we've got here is we've got a show that is directed uh, to sound natural in the English dub, so much so that you could almost mistake this as being audio from a live-action series, like a, a live-action soap opera without the cheesy organ in the background. There's a lot of melodrama in the characters' acting, but none of them are given uh, cartoonish voices. They're all given natural-sounding voices. Even the characters that look cartoonish aren't really given too over-the-top uh, voices to act and the writing is likewise uh, very down to earth. There's a whole lot of monologuing, a ton of monologuing of inner thoughts about what people are thinking, their angst, their backstories, their really, everyone's suffering inside. It, it is an entire Evanescence album squeezed into 22 episodes. And I give full props to both Wendy and Marlon for adapting this because this is, uh, this is a series that aired on uh, the NHK network. This isn't uh, an anime like we're used to. This is uh, like a long-running adult show. That just it aired on. It aired on a instead of like a midnight bracket for the otaku stuff. This was like a public broadcast television station show. Very much so. That's along the same lines of stuff that's um, like one that's airing this season. Actually, Car Captor Sakura Clear Card is another one that uh, was broadcast for an adult mainstream audience. This is a little bit different than that, but um, yeah, for adopting very much different for adopting uh, the content of this to the English market because let's be honest, only otaku are going to be watching the in America are going to be watching March Comes In Like a Lion. This isn't going to get broadcast on CBS or anything like that. Um, they, they still made it sound very good. I have no qualms with the writing or the directing, really. Um, yeah, I got really no. I, I wish I had qualms with this, but I really can't think of any right now. It's, it's very solid. It's very mature. Alrighty. Megan, what did you think? This is probably one of the show, the hardest shows I've ever had to actually watch for the podcast, and it's not because this is a bad anime at all. Like, far from it. Um, just to go into some personal background on myself, um, very much like Ray, I suffer from uh, depressive depression, um, and I also have awful, awful anxiety. Um, despite how I can, um, come off on the podcast, it's not my day-to-day -day life and stuff. Um, it's gonna sound really weird, but if you've ever actually wanted to know what I kind of sound like when I'm having an attack, um, if you listen to when I'm talking about Karna and Fate Apocrypha, I'm actually having an anxiety attack in the middle of that episode. That being said, um... Oh god, it is really hard to talk about why I enjoy this dub so much and that I will never be watching it ever again in my life because I could not go I no, I legitimately can't watch the show again. 
I, like, like, when the second season dub comes out, I'll watch the second season, and then I'm, like, wiping my hands of this franchise, like. So, would you give, this is, is this gonna be in the same camp of Grave of the Fireflies as a great series that you never watch again? I've never seen Grave again? of the Fireflies. I've never seen that movie. I've never seen that movie. You know, ever. I haven't either, actually. For, for uh, it's on my list of things to watch once, and that'll be it. But that that seems to be it for a lot of people, just like this series. Oh, but I what I really do want to talk about um, Wendy and Marlon's writing on this show because that was the biggest thing that really stung stuck out to me. Um, in in the combination of writing and directing, um, Noah brought it up about monologuing. Is in another show that we covered that had a lot of internal monologuing, internal, um, I guess, like, this is my backstory, this is how my dreams are interpreted. I had a lot of problems with it, and that was Junie Tyson. Because in that show, I felt like, hey, here's this character sitting on a box with, like, one stage light on them with a microphone, while in front of them, the rest of the scene is playing out. This show was almost the exact opposite for me. I felt more for these characters through the insanely impeccable writing on my end. Unfortunately, I've never watched the show in the sub. Um, due to an extenuating circumstance, I was in a work relationship uh, that ended with someone who I, I personally feel was abusive, and they were obsessed with this show. So I, for a very long time, never wanted to watch March Comes Like a Lion, and I really do want to thank Andrew for getting me to sit and watch the show, because it is fantastic. Um, so I can't speak for the sub, but as an English language speaker, um, and somebody with depression, it is an incredibly hard thing to write that doesn't come off as preachy, insincere, or disingenuous. This show's writing was the complete opposite. Everything felt sincere. Everything felt very warm and tender and very raw at points like i think i made it to episode three before i just started sobbing at points um and the direction on this really hits it but there's one line that i really that really has just stuck out for me through watching the whole show and it was when ray i think it's we we're okay to do spoilers for march comes right oh yes this entire this entire thing at this point Everything from season one of March Comes Like a Lion is fair game. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because I didn't want to like be like, okay, when Ray gets humiliated by Mr. Shimada, um, and he spends the next couple of days kind of like not being able to take care of himself because he's essentially, I guess, disassociating so much with losing and what he's supposed to do in life. There's a part where he's just getting food at the grocery store, and there's an internal monologue line that's, I'm so stupid I can't even be depressed right. I believe is the line. The exact line. That is exactly yes. what it was. And it takes a lot of guts to get that line written, and then to direct an actor to say that in a way that doesn't come off as just, like, a throwaway. And that was the line out of 22 episodes of show that just really, like, sat with me in my stomach. And I kind of needed to stop the episode there and just be like, okay, give me, like, five minutes. I'm going to go watch Devil's Line and watch something dumb and stupid to, like, make me come out of this. But it's so beautifully written and directed that 
it's it's worth it alone just to watch the dub for how beautifully it's taken care of. Like, damn, I forget Wendy Lee is such a good director at times because I, I, I own Alone in the Sea. I haven't watched it and I've owned it for like two and a half years. I plan on being on the classics episode for that because I've owned it. I own the nice big shiny box for it. I want to cosplay somebody from that fucking show. I want to cosplay. I want to cosplay the girl who got sacrificed to the sea god in that show because that outfit is so pretty. I meant to buy the big shiny box, but like I think I broke at the exact time that was coming out. That was like my. That was like the first year I had a job (laughs) where I could afford buying big stupid shit from right stuff. I have so many questions about this show now. It's it is it is drop dead gorgeous and it's, it's basically drop dead gorgeous. What is it? It's it's ba- like, you know what? Let me describe exactly how to describe this. Mermaids okay, plus. hang on. Mario Okada fish people drama, as animated by PA Works. You're, I have many more questions. You're not helping. Okay. Point what? is, Megan, please. Point is, um. Like, I'm, I'm not really familiar with a lot of Wendy Lee stuff. Uh, I never watched Love Hina growing up. Um, I own Alone in the Sea. I haven't watched it. I'm not watching the softcore porn that is Sister Testament New Devil. You can fight me in the comments on that. But if this was, like, one of the shows that someone said, show me what Wendy Lee is as a director, I'd put clips of this in front of you just to show you how beautiful it is. Uh, I also hate giving this away, but this is probably one of my contenders for one of the best written dubs of the year. Well, actually, Megan, Sister New Devil is a subversion, <laughs> and the mangaka intended... Put your boner away, Noah. We gotta keep Shut moving. up, ProCD! <laughs> Say the line, Megan. Say the line. What? Say the line at the end of that clip. I don't remember what it is. It was the mangaka saying, nah, I just wanted to see titties. Nah, I just wanted to see titties. <laughs> Pro-ZD. Speaking of which, my the favorite the my favorite ending to any Pro ZD videos. Oh, they fucking. <laughs> so, uh, just to go on a couple of things, uh, straight up, I think the writing I have for context, I have seen the show subtitled in its entirety before. This is my second time going through the show. I think in regards to a lot of the material, I think it stays pretty faithful, but there's a lot of interesting little additions and things that they did with it and i some of the lines i either forgot about or really stuck out more poignantly in the way they were they were delivered and said in the dub which i'll mention several more of those things as i get to certain characters but i I was particularly impressed by the i can't do depression right line as well as a lot of things that ray himself says as well as a couple other characters say i think a lot of the delivery of these characters are really interesting, profound, and the entire ensemble is great. But I want to give props to uh, something that I feel is going a little unsung right now. This is a very diverse cast, and some of the choices that were made for this dub are pretty unique and risky for several different characters, as I would not have picked several of these people to be playing this kind of person or this kind of personality at all. Like, a couple of them where it's like, you have somebody doing, like, an older man voice, of course so-and-so will be doing that, but there's some, like, comic relief characters or some antagonists where it's like, I genuinely would have not seen this person as this character, and the fact that this bold decision was made by Wendy 
And the fact that they these characters were the ones that impressed me the most throughout the show, I think that deserves praise. Because we, we always like to give props to very unique, risky casting. And I feel in a lot of places, this is a very risky show with a lot of... Um, I kind of want to wait to stop you there for a second because um, it's important to remember that because it's what they bang to dub, uh, Bagdoom does have a casting director that they normally use, so, uh, so in that case, I gotta get some serious props to, um, no, Mami Okada. <laughs> no, Ma oh, no, Mario Okada, right? It's, it's, okay, it's, it's no, Mario, Mario Okada! Damn it! doing in the casting department? <laughs> the fact that her name is Mami Okada instead of, like, the other, the person I just mentioned a minute or two ago, Mari Okada. The fact that those names are so similar bugs the crap out of me, but it's so funny. So major props to both Wendy Lee and Mami Okada. Thank you for that uh, correction, Jet. Point is, the casting of the show is really unique and interesting, and I wanted to give major props. Now, speaking into casting, let's get into our first set of characters. These are two characters from the Shogi Association. Uh, one of the more prolific recurring ones, Tatsuyuki Misumi, otherwise known by his nickname Smith, and the chairman of the Shogi Association, Takanori Jinjuji. And the- Cat dad. Cat, Cat dad and fish dad. Cat dad and fish dad. A it, that is a wonderful combination of characters. And these are both really interesting characters, as well as just being literal rays of sunshine every time they show up. Because they are really funny characters when they do a lot of things. But they are also hard-playing, competitive shogi members. Now, playing these characters, uh, playing the character of Smith is Robbie Damon. Robbie Damon, you'll have heard in such roles as Gil Thunder from The Seven Deadly Sins, Saray from Tales of Zestiria the Cross, Moomin Rider from One Punch Man, Galio Baudouin from Gundam Ironblood Orphans, and Smokey Brown from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Richard Epcar is the one playing Chairman Jinjunji, who you've heard as such characters as Daisuke Jigen from Lupin the Third Part Four. Inspector Lungue from Monster, Bobobo from Bobobo Bo Bobobo, and Joseph Joestar from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders. <laughs> oh my god! And there's our JoJo's reference for the evening. Thank you for that, Megan. You're welcome. Oh, there's going to be a JoJo's reference! I'm going to be honest. There's a couple of people who have been at least one character in JoJo, so it's probably going to come up a couple of times tonight. And don't feel any shame about that. You mentioned Moomin Rider, and I know I shouldn't bring up memes, but there was a really funny one of like, it's like the kid pointing to the map, it's like, point to Saitama, point to Genos, point to Moomin Rider, and he points to his chest for Moomin Rider. Where's Moomin Rider in my heart? Moomin Rider is the hero we all deserve. God bless him. Anyways, Jet, would you like to start us off? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so I'll start with the chairman real quick. So I don't have like an old ton to say there. Um, 
I mean, it's not my first time hearing Richard Epcar do like a comedic role because I've heard the tip beat done pretty recently. He was like a comedic kind of chairman character in that show. Um, so I've kind of heard him do that sort of wacky thing before, and uh, he said like he was having a lot of fun here. Um, so I dug it, it was pretty fun. Um, that's like, uh, Robbie David Smith, on the other hand, was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, because it's the first time I've ever actually heard Robbie David play like a full-grown adult. He's usually like angry teenagers. Um, so, I mean, I can't say something like super different from some of his other roles. To, to, you know, you can so clearly tell it's him. Uh, but he handled Smith's very nonchalant attitude really well. And uh, it really did a lot to help make the character stand out to be so um, Yeah, I was pretty happy with both of these. Alright, Noah? I'm, this is a section where I'm going to have the least amount to say because um, a lot of the show focuses on the characters that have more baggage, more tragic backstories, and more you know more problems weighing on them. Uh, these are the characters that have almost none of that going on, and by the time that uh, Robbie Damon gets himself a cat, he is completely free of any problems. He has almost no conflict throughout the entire show, and that's okay because he's got except for when the cat sleeps on other people's laps. Is that strawberry? Why he, he, he never comes up on my lap? Why is he why is he snuggling up to you? Don't steal my cat! <laughs> and Ray the entire time is like, is this a girlfriend he's talking about? What's going on here? I'm so confused. My side hoe, Ichigo. <laughs> <laughs> two episodes, two side hoe references. Uh, give this girl a medal. Speaking of giving medals, uh, yeah, I understand the, the function of these characters and that um, the mangaka and, by extension, the, the writers of the show wanted to have a large cast to exemplify the wide range of people who play this game. Um, because you can't have just one guy playing ch Japanese chess all by himself. Um, so I don't have very many notes about uh, either Robbie or Richard's performances. Uh, Robbie is wistful and sounds a little bit older, and then he gets more spastic when he has to, and that, that's pretty much all he has to do. Um, I, I guess I should say, you didn't do anything wrong, and therefore that it means that you get two thumbs up from me. So same for both these characters, honestly. I've got much more to say about everybody else, but in these ones here, give props to Wendy, and in the writing, the secondary characters don't detract from the quality. It's not that these characters don't have problems. It's just we have yet to focus on their problems, so to speak. The question is not do they have problems, it's when do we get to their problems. I understand that everyone... You can't be in the show unless you've got a problem. Even the cats have problems to deal with. Yeah, like when are they gonna feed me, man? Did they say dinner? Did she, she said dinner, dinner! didn't she? Dinner! Dinner, 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 dinner. <laughs> Uh, well, this is the section to be talking about cats anyway. And speaking of cats, Megan, would you like <laughs> to discuss these two characters? You shut the fuck up. That's a different character. <laughs> We're getting to him later. Uh, I liked Richard Epcar's, like, this asshole guy. <laughs> This guy, was, his heart is in such the right place, but his head, his foot is firmly in his mouth. I don't even think his heart's... I think he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, he's like, oh, I've won all these matches. Fuck this shit. I'm going to go fishing. Do you want all this fish? <laughs> I think I, he's very blunt. Is yeah, that yeah he's, 
Yeah, he's very. He just doesn't. He doesn't have a filter, and I don't fuck he's with and he, he dotes on Ray in like your drunk uncle kind of way. <laughs> kind like, kind of uncle. Did you have? Have you met my extended family? I'm from like all of my uncles are like all the uncles I like anyway, are all a bunch of Irish people. Okay, do you want an explanation of how my family works? So last year when we went to a wedding, um. I kept, like, I swear a lot. My mom was like, would you stop that? My mom's oldest brother looks in the air and goes, Kathy, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> Everyone's fucking doing it, Kath. That explains everything. So Doesn't much. it? I was going to guess. You, your uncles are, your extended family either sounds Jewish or Irish. Maybe both. Jirish. I, no, we're Jirish. <laughs> yes. No, we're Irish. And then uh, one of my cousins is, two of my cousins are African-American and Irish, and... One of them, and two of them are Italian-Irish. So so you get this kind of character, this Richard Epcar yes. type of... I yes, because it is my uh, is all of the uncles I like. Um, it's all of my family members I like, that's why. <laughs> all of my family members I don't like are later. Um, uh, so no, I really liked him, but Smith... Oh, Smith. Smith was, for a while, my favorite, my favorite like side character performance in the show. And then somebody else took that over for like the last half of it, but um, I this is gonna sound really weird, but Robbie, like I too am also just used to Robbie Damon playing teenagers, like, and Tuxedo Mask, who might as well be a teenager. But I don't really watch Sailor Moon, so like I think for me the biggest thing that I've ever actually watched like Robbie Damon in is um, is <laughs> Seven Deadly Sins as Gil Thunder and like P5 when he's a catchy. The game Persona 5 for when he's a catchy, which is also a teenager. Um, so hearing him play like this 20-something-year-old shogi player who can't get laid and is a cat dad, uh, for me, it sounded like the best combination of Eric Vale and J. Michael Tatum. That is like, a really interesting combination. That's like where my brain went to when I would hear him, because he was, Smith had like this very eccentric performance to him that was still somewhat leveled on this planet. Like, it was kind of, like, a little out there, because it's like, okay, there's, like, a scene at one point where he comes home with a can of, a bunch of cans of cat food, grabs this little cat, and goes, <gasps> Daddy's home! Who missed you so much? I have, I have the exact line of what he says written down, because I had to bring it up. It's, I'm sorry, Daddy, Daddy kept you waiting. Time for num-nums. You're such a cutie pie. Did you miss your daddy? And yeah. you just see the yeah, like, dead eyes and the cat looking at the camera like, please kill me now. And, and here, <laughs> he looks into and here the, the camera thing I like it's the office. Smith is that he had like the best scene in the show where it's just, like 30 seconds like this really jazzy dude that's always eating breakfast. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Like, that scene kind of comes out of nowhere. It's just like, oh, here's Smith like getting up for the day and taking a shower and eating toast. Uh, all I was waiting for him to like look at his phone and be like, I'm late for Shogi. Puts the toast in mouth and runs. <laughs> Was for school. No, he's an adult. You don't run with the toast. The toast waits for you. That's how adulthood works. No, it's not. That's a fucking lie. You know it. No, I know adults, it. No, real adults just stuff the entire loaf of bread in their mouth and run out the door. <laughs> right, hurry, I've got the thing. You just stick like, at the, like the whole thing of Wonder Bread like you have the yeah. plastic part in your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually done that before. I said I'm late for American school, shoved a burger in my mouth, and ran and almost fell over. We you have to film that life. now. We have to film that at A-Fest. 
I don't I'll think I want to. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay, I we do. Can make Hardy, we can make Hardy do it. All right. We'll get a Whataburger. Uh, no, I really liked both Smith and uh, Jinjuji. So uh, Robbie and Richard did great. And also me, I don't. I like when I get to talk about Robbie Damon and Richard Epcard. I don't get to enough. They're really good actors. And unsurprisingly, my thoughts on both of these actors are, in fact that they are really good actors. Richard Epcar is basically such a fun, dorky grandpa man with no sign of a filter floodgate, and it is just... It is just... He is just the sw He... I believe he, honest to God, really does, in fact, mean well for everybody. But he He's just is, bad at it. He's just <laughs> so blunt where it's just like, Hey, buddy, you, you're like the same age as Soya, but you look like hell and back. You look like you're going to pass the fuck out. I get why you want to get out of there. You'll do great, except you're probably going to have a tough match, so whatever. Who wants fish? And Smith. Smith is a really interesting character. I think Robbie Damon has a very... He's a really good performer and he's got a really good actor i hear him a lot of times in like much more like serious action roles or sometimes flat out crazy people so it's interesting to hear him as a much more like eccentric almost a little flamboyant like 20 something adult person which is really interesting i actually realize where i think i've heard him do this before because this is something about this sounded familiar to me do any of you watch the show OKKO OK Let's Be Heroes? No. Yes. I've seen a few episodes. I really need to get back into it. Okay, oh, you, you really do. Right over there. Andrew, my cartoon buddy. Let us rap, my friend. Let, let me just say, first and foremost, Robbie Damon in that show plays a character named Raymond. First off, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the fact that the fact that Robbie Damon plays a character named Raymond is fucking hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, the reason I it reminded me of that is because basically Raymond is this very over-the-top Ah, oh, it is my time to defeat you and like he's essentially like he's a villain with tongue-in-cheek and a little bit of like Roses TNA? in the background not TNA Did you say DNA or TNA? Uh, let's go with DNA. Okay, let's go with DNA. But yeah, no, it's just very eccentric and crazy. And I hear a lot of that in Smith's performance. Like, he, it's really fun. Every time he talks, he's really fun and interesting. And he's also a very relatable character for one line in particular. After he suffers, like, basically a big loss in this tournament and it's snowing, he's basically like, I'm single and alone. That guy gets like this really pretty girl or something like that. And he looks so cool for his age, I don't get it. So he's basically like, he, he picks up some trash and he looks at a garbage can. He says to himself, if I make it, I drink my troubles away. If I miss, I'll go home, get under the covers and cry myself to sleep. As one does. As one always does and immediately it's like i completely understand your character and i love you you precious blonde weirdo eccentric shogi man he's cool i really like robbie damon's performance it's really really fun and interesting now moving on to our next group of characters these are the two central male role model figures in rei kiriyama's life Good Mashi dad and bad dad. 
Good Dad and Bad Dad. Masachika Koda and Takashi Hayashida. Koda is the father who takes Rei in as part of his family after Rei loses his family in a car accident and basically becomes Rei's adopted father and teaches him about shogi or like helps him further along in his path to be a shogi teacher yeah ray was uh, already starting to get very good he was already into shogi because koda essentially put him down the path of shogi as like a professional career right that he haven't uh, ray reminisces at one point he says and from that point forward i became the son of a shogi family Essentially, like, the second he said, do you want to keep playing Shogi, it was like a contract was sealed, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. Metaphorically. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, one of the lines I really didn't like in the show where he said, like, it was the first time I ever lied in order to live, and I thought that was, like, really powerful. Oh, God, I forgot. <laughs> the first time I ever lied in order to live. I think that was in the sub, too, but, God, that's such a cool line. Yeah, and... because he's, he's basically, like, he doesn't really want to play Shogi. He's just doing it so he doesn't go with it, like, get thrown in an orphanage. It's literally all he really knows or has left. And Takashi Hayashida, who is Rei's uh, high school teacher, who is also a big fan of Shogi, as well as also being a bit of a nerd who kind of also wants to improve his own game from a professional player. He's also basically, for majority of the series, Rei's only friend in high school. I don't, and, I don't know what high school you went to, but every high school teacher I had was certifiably a nerd. Fair enough. But... Uh, the actors who are playing these characters playing the role of Masachika Koda is Cam Clark. Cam Clark, who you've heard as such characters as Caster of Black in Fate Apocrypha, Richard Braun in Monster, Kaseroga Inaba from Bleach, Max Sterling from Robotech slash Macross, and the older Darby brother from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders. And... Playing Hayashida is Keith Silverstein, who has played such characters as Caster of Red from <laughs> Bad Dad is Black Caster, who was Bad Dad in that show, and Good Dad is Red Caster, who was also kind of bad in that show. The odds are, I thought that was a really funny thing I discovered when uh, picking these out. He's also played such characters as Cocoon from Devilman Crybaby, Chad Chadon from Gundam Ironblood Orphans, Hisoka from Hunter Hunter 2011, and Robert E.O. Speedwagon from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Even Speedwagon wants to learn to play Shogi. The JoJo references weren't going to stop anytime soon, ladies and gentlemen. Jet! Please tell us what you thought of Cam and Keith. Um, like I said in the Fate of Procrypa episode, it's uh, been pretty rare to hear Cam Clark do anime roles until recently. And uh, it's really a shame because he's a really strong actor. Uh, he does a really great job of playing um, both sides of Koda where he's, you know, this sort of... You know, he's kind of like this warm and kind father figure to Ray, but he's also like incredibly distant toward his own children. And you can really see that difference in tone of how he speaks while interacting with Ray versus like what we see of him with Kyoko in the flashbacks. And uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, I also really liked uh, Keith Silverstein as Hayashida. And while uh, Keith Silverstein has kind of done, you know, like a little bit of everything when it comes to character types and stuff, um, 
was really nice getting to see him do something a little bit more on the grounded side. Uh, he manages to make Haichi to come off with like this really likable, you know, just this really likable guy, getting to be both warm and goofy, and uh, while also demonstrating a more fatherly side on occasion, since in a lot of respects he acts more like Ray's dad than Koda does, and Koda is like literally Ray's adopted dad. Um, he was like a lot of fun in every scene he did, and while part of me, like, almost thought he might have been like a little bit too kickless. No, sorry, a little bit too safe of a casting choice in the beginning. Uh, his delivery was definitely strong enough to win me over almost immediately, and these two were really fantastic. Thank you, Jet. Noah. Yeah, I don't have as much to add about these either, because, uh, like we said at the top, Wendy Lee's direction on this entire show is to give everyone an almost live-action direction style to it. So, like, don't treat these like cartoon characters. Treat this like you would on a regular stage, like a regular screen television performance in front of a camera. And With all due respect, isn't that kind of what most acting is, is to treat these people like real people? To an extent. Um, you, you, what I mean is, um, if you listen to... Um, okay, have you listened to uh, the Tiger and Bunny dub? Uh, yes. Okay. Did you listen to it in sub? No. Okay, one, I wasn't in the Tiger and Bunny episode, but one thing that I wanted to point out if I was in that one was the Japanese version of Tiger and Bunny's voice acting was very Sentai-like. was very much like the live-action Sentai series, which differentiated it very heavily from a lot of Japanese voice acting. Like, you could tell, your ear could tell there was a difference between that. And the same way here, I feel like the English dub of March Comes in Like a Lion here uh, gets rid of a lot of the inflections and a lot of the, the tricks that voice actors use to make up for the lack of a screen presence by uh, just being themselves, really. And that's kind of what I feel like Cam and uh, what Cam and Keith did in this situation. Cam in particular, he sounds mature. He doesn't sound uh, too old, actually. Um, I was kind of thought with the, the character design for Coda that they would make him sound a little bit older, like maybe give him more of a rasp or more of a, a gruffness to his voice. But no, he sounds more, a little more middle-aged, and which was interesting because it, it, we find out how much of a scumbag his character kind of is in some parts of the show, and he doesn't drop that. He doesn't drop the... Um, you know, the, the nice guy sound to it, which makes him sound even more creepy when he says things like, uh, when he, like, talks down to his uh, his daughter, who we'll talk about in a bit, or how he, he like, kind of looks at uh, Ray and says, should I have gotten you toys instead, or do you like these shogi pieces? Like, it's not even a question at that point. It's a, no, the right answer is you like these shogi pieces. Mm. And as for Keith, um, he was a lot of fun to listen to. Um, he was the guy who... You kind of thought of, like, he's normal. He's, like, the normal guy who doesn't have any exemplary skills. He's not a shogi master. He's not... Uh, he thought that he was going to be hot shit when he grew up, but no, he just kind of grew up to be, like, a pretty normal guy. And so the fact that he gets to hang out with the shogi masters that he idolizes, you can see his fanboyism kind of seeping through throughout it all. And Keith's, uh, like, jump between, I'm going to be your regular series teacher who wants to make sure that you graduate and go to good education and be an element to Japanese society. And then, so, so, so what's he like? What, what's the child god like? What's Toji Soya like? I bet, but he's, like, really cool, isn't he? So. He goes from being, like, a important Japanese homeroom teacher to a bit of a fanboy enabler. Oh, definitely. And so there's, uh, I have no, nothing to, uh, to say, like, I would critique either of these ones on them. 
they're both solid actors, and um, like I said, Jet, I'm really surprised to hear Cam Clark in a, in a role again. I don't think that I thought we'd hear from him again after the 2002 He-Man series, so glad to have you back, Cam. Um, I cannot yeah. believe he was He-Man in that. There's so many things I love about doing research for this. You find things like that, you're like, what the fuck? Oh, you have you have no idea. Like, okay, what? do you want to know what Cam's first role was in voice acting? Uh, it, was it Leonardo? No, no, it was much older than that. Uh, sure. What's up? What is he, it? He was in the Hanna-Barbera series, The Snorks. Snorks. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's the old. The Snorks, a.k.a. rip-off aquatic smurfs. Exactly. <laughs> in that age, everything was fair game for plagiarism. It was... I, Except for Jabberjaw was kind of endearing. But Hanna-Barbera made Smurfs, so they could remake their own series so many times. Do you know how many Scooby-Doo rip-off series they made, and it wasn't copyright infringement? It's it's literally, it was literally... No, 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 that was Ruby Spears. No, no, that was not Hanna-Barbera. Ruby Spears made It's basically that meme of the guy pointing at his head is, you can't rip off anybody else if you rip off yourself. And that's what happened. Or I was gonna say, it's just the Spider-Man pointing at himself. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. That wasn't Hanna-Barbera either, but yes, the image does work. Yeah, yes, okay. it does. Now, now, Megan, what'd you think of Cam Clark and Keith Silverstein? <laughs> First of all, I just, I just like ran through our dis, uh, my private Discord in uh, Cerulean, got to where I call uh, Sonoda from Agretzko an evil whore biscuit. And she's just like, uh, that being said, you know who's also an evil whore biscuit? Who else Coda? is an evil whore biscuit, Megan? Fucking Coda is an evil whore biscuit. Um, Hayashida. I really loved, uh, Keith Silverstein's, uh, Hayashida. He was the only person in the cast I could immediately pick out. Oh, that's Keith Silverstein. Because when he would get really excited, I was like, it's Shakespeare! <laughs> it's Shakespeare! I cast her, Fred! I liked you, you got done dirty. As did everybody on the Red Faction. Fuck you, fuck you, Semiramis. Um, but I really loved him. I liked how he was, I call him good dad in the sense that he was very playful and very paternal, but he wasn't like, it's like the difference between like how Andrew, uh, sorry, Noah described Coda being like, should I have gotten you toys, or do you like the shogi pieces? You like the shogi pieces, or you're not eating tonight. Versus, hey, son, you're kind of lonely, and you really should think about making friends. Why don't we go ask the science weirdos who are growing <laughs> rice on the fuck? Okay, what the hell, science club? Ba the afternoon burners club. When they said that, I thought he was taking him to the stoners. <laughs> I love that well, guy's mustache. I love that guy. He was like probably one of like just the most random side characters. I was like, I I want to know your story, dude. Like, yeah, I want to know. The weird thing about that one is that um, in his own version, he actually did kind of sound like an old man, and I thought they knew that. Oh, so he had like a. <laughs> he sounds older than Hayashida at times, but uh, no, just like Jameson's just own. I feel like I because I believe Jameson Price is a father. Um. I feel like his own sense of, like, paternalness came through in the voice without making it sound like, like, how Noah said, like, he doesn't sound like an old man, but he also doesn't sound like a teenager. He's in that firm, like, middle age. Um, that being said, transferring over to Coda, um, 
Coda is probably part of the, the, the trinity of characters that makes me uncomfortable. Um, and Cam's Clark performance performance in this helps. And, and and this is a weird thing, and I've, I've wanted to preference this, because I've, I've said it about um, other characters. Um, it is not a bad thing when I say, I hate this character, I hate him so much, and then talk about the voice actor. There are some times where their voices need to make you want to hate these people. Like, for an example of this is um, Todd Habercorn's character in Shiki. Uh, without Todd's performance to it, I don't think I would have had the same emotional reaction towards it. And I feel the same way with Cam Clark as Coda. Um, and this goes in terms with uh, Wendy and uh, Mar Maron's writing of, of this character. In that, to me, he gets across this very nice way of being incredibly manipulative. And I believe that Coda is a bad father to all of his children, including Ray. Now the, qu uh, now the question is, Megan, just uh, do you think he knows that about himself? No, that's the thing. He does not know it. He doesn't, he doesn't know he's a bad dad because he thinks he's being a good dad. And that is really hard to get across in any let, voice acting, let alone live action. Um, because this is a man who took in a child not because he truly was, he truly loved the child of a very good friend of his. He saw Ray as a prodigy to bring in to probably make his own reputation look better. And... During this, um, during him taking Ray in, he begins to forsake his own children for this. And, um, the way that he, the way that Cam plays Coda speaking to and about his two other children, Kyoko and, what's the brother's name? Uh, it starts with a vowel. It, Ayumi. Ayumu. Ayumi. Ayumu. Ayumu. Ayumu and Kyoko. Is that... He says things that you would think people would think are 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 oh he's being a firm father, but in the back of your mind, if you're on the other thing, it's you're you're sitting on the outside looking in on these people, and you've maybe been through some of these ex experiences in your life. The way that Cam portrays it, it's like, oh well, if he wasn't strong enough to take on beating you, how could he ever do great in the real world? And just that that line that. Cam walks as Coda between being sounding like a firm father that doesn't come off as inherently inherently abusive or inherently neglectful while at the same time in the back of your mind it's like wow he really isn't a good father he's not thinking of his children like there's that line that he is very much crossed and it's not only is it affecting the way that um, Ayumu and Kyoko act, because if if you've watched the show, um, when Rei kind of starts talking about being taken in by the Koda family, um, eventually Ayumu gives up on Shogi and becomes a Haikikomori. And Kyoko, who we're going to talk about next, becomes essentially the mirror of her father I kind of want to talk I, I, I'll touch on it when we talk about Kyoko and her actress's performance um, and then for Ray, he sees it that he needs to 
become he needs to leave because now he feels like a cuckoo bird which I, I would want to talk about that more when we get to Ray, but I feel like I can't talk about Coda and the way that Cam performs him without bringing that up. Um, so I really do want to applaud Cam for putting it in this this world of reality that is very hard to capture in any acting medium without the if you if you understate it, it's lost on an audience, but if you overstate it, it becomes a caricature. It doesn't become believable. Like you you go you cross that line from wow, this is a complex character to cartoonish card carrying villain. Right. AKA the uh, abusive scumbag dad in Detroit become human who is the single most like you are a caricature cartoon villain of an abusive parent. Or like um and I hate to rag on the I hate to rag on the on on this show and its portrayal of abuse. It's you go from having Coda who is abusive in a way that you don't think about it to crossing into like Medusa from Soul Eater who I I love Medusa t- from Soul Eater to death. I love that show, but at times she is over the top in cartoon. Yeah, that was of course. it's not subtle in the very least. It's or or you get like Aragio from Kill a Kill. That's what I was okay. thinking of is that that was intentionally evil and the voice acting in English was intentionally intentionally hammy and okay. that also goes with uh, that that is a uh, well we'll bring Mm-mm. that's a uh, yeah or I, I said Medusa because Lucy Christian kind of walks both of those lines like Kim okay. Park does but she goes in the way that that show presents abuse and an abusive parent goes into a cartoony a more cartoony over the top version of abuse as opposed to something that is more grounded in reality that March comes like a lion is in okay wow that is a lot to take in um but I'm really the, sorry. No, like, I'm really sorry if it's super, if I'm getting like this no, no, is just no. to the audience. If I'm getting like super heavy, and I understand, but there's a lot to unpack in this show, and um, the next two groups that we're talking about are really going to get uncomfortable, and I I do apologize for that. Do, no, like they're they're important things to talk about. They're really interesting. I'm just now thinking, what what do I add to that? Which I think I know I know what to add to that. First off, let me say uh, Hayashida. Keith Silverstein, every time I hear him in anything, he is a goddamn treat. He is just a wonderful person to hear talk, whether it's dramatic or scumbag villainy, or in this case, what is essentially like your goofy dad friend, but is also genuinely in a really encouraging, positive figure in Ray's life. He's like, of course, he he wants to like get advice for things and he wants to be kind of jokey with him, but the lessons he teaches him are genuine. Everything he wants to pass on to him, like you could feel he really cares about this kid. He really wants him to succeed and he really wants to help him find his way and find his place and find something. And there's like a couple of scenes like with the, I think it's the scene on the bridge where I am straight up just started bawling. Uh, I need to find the actual line he says, cause is this in, like, the last couple episodes? Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, no matter how hopeless it may feel, there's help out there. Rely on others, because if you don't, then no one will rely on you either. That, that, and the fact that he, he's saying, like, Ray does not see himself, like, as doing anything amazing. And he, and 
he, Hayashida essentially reflects on what he did, was just, he was kind of lazy and laid back and did whatever, and he sees what Ki uh, Ray does, how he is fighting every single day, fighting his hardest, strongest to persevere in this world of school and shogi, and how he's saying you should be proud of that, and it's just, oh, that scene fucking killed me. I think it's also, too, that uh, I believe he also says it's like, what do you mean you haven't done anything? You get up, you make your own meals, you do your laundry, you go to work, you go to school. Like, like that is that is some a lot of people don't think that is inherently powerful stuff on its own. But put yourself in the shoes of somebody like Ray, who is incredibly depressed and has no no honest to God sense of how much his wife really is worth. Not to himself, but also to the people around him. That is, that is like somebody throwing out the the the, the life ringy off the boat to pull the guy who's gone overboard. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, no, Keith Silverstein is fantastic. I love hearing him. He is a treat as this character. Now, going on to uh, Coda and Cam Clark. This is a trickier thing. I want to put a different frame on this discussion. I want to say two things, I think, to add to the narrative when we're discussing Coda's character. Two things. One, I'm going to be honest, I think his love for Rey is sincere. I don't think... I think... I'm going to be honest, I think he is a, he is a problematic parent... I don't think he's good at what he does. He puts a lot of strain on the relationships with his own children. I think, in honesty, he does care about Rick. I think that's what makes this conversation more complicated. It would be... It's so easy to, be, to just say that he is... He is somebody who doesn't care or just doesn't... It's just all about Shogi. But there is that whole sequence after Ray is just extremely sick for a lot... For several days and his phone is just completely dead. And he sees, like, several missed calls from Coda because he wanted to know what was up with Ray and what he was doing. And he gave him the sweater. It's... It's a tricky situation to discuss that character because it is what makes this so powerful as a performance and a character discussion is I would hate if this was an unrealistic like abusive cartoon character person the fact that Cam adds so much nuance and intrigue to this complicated like stressful situation is fascinating like he has so many hinges of like darkness and cruel and sternness to him that are so unsettling and creepy but he does genuinely seem to care about Ray's well-being which is interesting to me secondly I had an interesting discussion I think when when Megan first got to this character about why he is like this is that he they are he is the father of a shogi family which I'm curious what his own upbringing was like himself is th is that if this is just all he ever knew was this path and that is essentially how this lineage becomes this line of like it's like being in like a like a, I don't know like a sports family or a military family where it's like that expectation that this is a path you have to follow you must follow my father and his father before me were part of this path 
I'm expecting you to be on this path. And then there's probably the added cultural narrative of, like, Japanese families, which I'm not sure we can ever fully comprehend in that sense. As, like, this is just what they expect, whereas, like, they expect their children to follow greatness and stuff. And I almost think that's a similar thing. I think what he does to Rey and his kids is extremely unfair, and the pressure he puts on them and the complications are really unfair and messed up. But I also wonder if that is both cultural and just what he was raised on as being, like, a proper family, too. And that's fascinating to me. It's unsettling, but I think it's an interesting conversation. Like, so... I'm aware this is going a little dark by self to go into this, but I felt I wanted to add those two little nuggets into the to the discussion about Coda. If anybody wanted to add anything about that, feel free to. I just came for the Shogi game. I didn't, I didn't know we were going to get psychiatrist couch sessions on this. <laughs> the, the show itself kind of went to that discussion, and I think that's what makes it such a powerful show that... Um, maybe will not appeal to a lot of base level anime fans like i don't mean this as like an insult like i legitimately don't mean this as an insult but there are people who can't see anime outside of things like dragon ball z one piece naruto like that stuff throwing them into a show like this would genuinely make them not want to watch the show and and that's what I I, 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 like I said, I genuinely enjoy the show, but this is also some of the stuff that hits a little bit too close to home for me, so I don't want to um, necessarily go back through that again. Fair enough. And, and, and yeah, I, I want to talk about a certain aspect of this relationship in regards to Ray that, but I'll, I'll get to that when we get to Ray himself. Okay. But I, I will preface to say that I think Cam Clark has a very smooth and kind of stern, like, middle-aged parental voice that really lends itself to the kind of, like, stern, authoritative person that Coda is. And I think he does a stellar job making this character feel not likable, not like somebody you really want to be around. He makes this character feel real and come alive. And I think that is, that is high praise. Oh boy. Oh boy. I, I, the lighter characters maybe in the next episode? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Boy, remember the, I had a interesting, nuanced, tricky conversation about the, the father of this family. Let's talk about the daughter and then some. Let's talk about Masamune Goto and Kyoko Koda. Kyoko Koda is the daughter of uh, Masachika Koda, one of the two other siblings that Rei lived alongside when he was living in his family. And her life has gotten... Complicated. Complicated. And that, she was uh, she was really good at Shogi and thought she was going to go all the way before Ray got there. And he just kind of threw a monkey wrench into her entire upbringing. And Masamune Goto, who is a man in his 40s, 
whose wife is in a coma. He is a very rough, tough, brutal, unforgiving man. And who I believe they in, I believe they implied um, at one point like physically beat Ray. I think that's exactly what they implied. Yes, who Kyoko is completely infatuated. She's got some daddy issues. Boy, howdy. Now, going into who plays these characters, uh, let's start with uh, Kyoko, actually. Uh, Kyoko is played by Lauren Landa. Lauren Landa has played uh, such characters as Selenique Yuga de Millennia from Fate Apocrypha, Mio Narase from Testament of Sister New Devil, Kaluto Zoldik from Hunter x Hunter 2011, Mariah from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, and Kyoko, so Kyoko Sakura from, what is she from, Megan? <laughs> she plays the other Shaft Kyoko, Kyoko Sakura from Puella Magica, Yep, she's Kyoko in another Shaft show. And here I thought the one you were like, <laughs> no, but she does play her too. But no, the fact that it's Kyoko from another Shaft show is. As soon as Megan brought that up to me, I was actually angry. <laughs> and speaking of which, speaking of fucking anger, the the one playing the character of Masamune Goto is none other than Ray Chase. Holy shit! Holy yep. shit! God damn it! Not again! Holy shit! Are you faking it now, or are you being real? He's being real. My wine bottle is empty, and I'm like, holy shit, Ray Chase. He's being God real. Damn it. Ray Chase has also played such characters as Lancer of Black from Fate Apocrypha, Rustle Elyon from Gundam Ironblood Orphans, Puri Puri Prisoner from One Punch Man, Rubber Soul from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, and Atsumu... Matsuyuki, aka Yukiatsu, from Anohana. I'm still so <laughs> mad about that performance. That performance makes me so upset. So you get to be mad at But I love it so much. The fact that, yeah, the fact that he plays your favorite character in Anohana <laughs> is amazing. Did Noah ever hear my description of, like, what I wanted to do to Ray Chase for Yukiatsu? Like, I wanted to punch that character into low space orbit. If you did, uh, I I'm pretty sure that you typed it somewhere in our in our Twitter chat, but I never heard you say it out loud. Yep. And, and oh. to be fair, I, I would be right behind you, you know, as a tag team partner to help you do that. Oh, Falco, Pawn, show us your moves, Yukiatsu. Uh, this is gonna- I feel this one's gonna be a long one. We need to get started. Jet! Tell us what you thought of Lauren and Ray. Okay, um, so I can be pretty quick with Ray, so I don't have as much to say about him. Um, so at this point, Ray Chase has proven himself enough times, and I pretty much expect him to be, uh, I pretty much expect to be happy with anything he's cast in. And, well, I was, uh, pretty happy with this. Um, Kodo's meant to come off as, you know, kind of like this obviously devious slyball, and, uh, Ray Chase's delivery just oozes slime, and he really made me dislike this guy all over again. Uh, which is, you know, as good a sign of any of the sound performance. I mean, like, uh, part of me would kind of like to see him, you know, maybe get cast as the other characters again, since I feel like I'm kind of getting a little 
do you see him doing like these kind of rubber characters now? Because it feels like it feels like that's what he's casting like at least last like five or six things I've heard of him. Uh, but uh, you know, aside from that, I I really enjoyed him. He 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 really he really sold me on that that anger. Um, Lauren Landa also had to play a mostly unlikable character with Kyoko, and um, she was great at selling all of the characters like very spiteful feelings towards Ray, while also having a sort of like seductive quality to her tone that kind of helps out why she's um, you know able to take him along the way he does, the way she does. Since um, I, I mean, it, I mean, it's sort of like I don't want to say ambiguous, but I guess it's. I guess you can kind of infer Ray has like feeling for her in a sense. It's it's, it's weird. Um, yeah, I don't think it's ambiguous at all. I, 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 okay, I know. I mean, I mean, I know it's not ambiguous. It's just it's, it's, it, no. I mean, complicated is the word I want to use. Complicated. Um, yes, that, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Um. Of course, while Kyoko is pretty bratty, um, she and she also is like a. You know, she's a very troubled individual. Uh, dealing with the fact that her dad has, you know, like mostly given up on her. And that, you know, she's kind of aware that her attitude rubs people the wrong way, that she's not very white. And uh, Lauren Landa handles all those aspects of, that, of the character well, too. Um, and I especially appreciated those, like, little moments where, you know, she managed to make Kyoko actually sound vulnerable. And uh, it did a lot to help me, you know, understand Kyoko a little bit better, even if I didn't necessarily like her. So, um, kudos to both of these two. I mean, it's not easy playing unlikable characters, but they did a great job. Noah? I gotta be totally... Okay, so, I didn't know it was Ray Chase the entire time I was watching it. And I also didn't know that it was Lauren playing Kyoko the entire time I was watching it. Uh, so, on, on Ray's performance on this... I actually didn't think he was over the top. Um, like, he's slimy, sure, but I, it wasn't over the top. It was kind of a similar situation to Coda, where it's a... It, he's got a lower timber to him, but it's it's a normal-sounding voice. This is the kind of guy who you could hear in real life. They didn't make him an over-the-top, maniacal British villain trying to destroy the lives of the girls. No, he's, he's got this very... I am better than all of you tone in his voice when he talks. He talks down to everybody, which is a strength of the writing, definitely, but also in Ray's acting, which is really different from the the younger characters that I'm used to hearing him in. So this is uh, another good example of an evil scumbag of a human being that's probably a lot closer to the kind of scumbag you've met in real life than the cartoonish ones that we see uh, to advance the plot. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I, I, li I like that. Like, I okay, I don't like the character. Um, I actually don't quite know what the function of him was in the overall plot, but I do like the fact that he is the only character that actually gets an anger rise out of Ray. He's the only one that makes Ray actually snap and full-on want to choke something, want to hit him, which is uh, weird because the entire time we get episodes upon episodes of Ray's acting is very low drum and uh woe is me and all of a sudden he just like he gets mad he gets hulk smash angry at him for that all not okay question which ray <laughs> oh okay. I i'm being serious right now which ray <laughs> I let's talk about the one in the show not ray chase that's ray chase angry ray chase smash no, I you're right. Ray I, I Chase voice Noctis in Final Fantasy. Not the same one. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, yeah, Ray never. Ray, Ray Chase drive car. Ray Chase never, uh, never really uh, gets over the top enough. He gets just that l level of skeeviness to the point that you don't, uh, that you believe him. He's the kind of guy who thinks he's all that and a bag of chips. Speaking of eating all of the chips, I didn't think that this was Lauren Londa throughout the entire series. I thought it was Wendy Lee throughout the entire show. I thought Wendy was voicing this character. Uh, they, they, they. Oh, uh, yes, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't blame you. Like Lauren Landon and Wendy Lee do actually sound kind of similar. I've been saying them a couple of times. And I, it might also just be because uh, not only do they sound similar, but uh, you know, Wendy directed the series, so maybe some of the uh, direction carried over into the performance itself. But that's a great thing. Anyone being compared to Wendy Lee, that is a compliment because Lauren does this really well. She's got this tomboy toughness to her voice. Like it's not perky, it's not moe, it's very uh, much more tomboy in voice. And I don't dislike the character. Um, I, I can I can see where she's coming from in her actions. Um, you got this character who is obviously masking a lack of direction in her life. Like, went through many years of, of up to middle school thinking she knew exactly what she was going to do. She was going to become a professional shogi player, and that was going to be her identity. And then, through circumstances of just not being better than one person in her house, that was all taken away from her. And so Lauren plays the various facets of flirtatious and upset and I don't care, I'm going to live my life however I want levels to it. That's really a lot of fun to listen to, probably because we don't have any other characters like this throughout the entire series. We have a couple other female characters who are way on the other end of the spectrum of Kyoko. So the more time she was in the show, I'm really glad, and she also gave Rei in the show more uh, to play off of. It's a very different dynamic than any other character that they had. Even if I, it makes me a little uncomfortable to watch this character because it's all too understandable how she got to where she is. Someone who has this horrible parental relationship that absolutely broke them from being a fully functional adult in their adult life. Okay, so I'm going to let uh, Megan go last for this one. So before I go first... Before I start the section, I just need to remember the the Ray Chase Hulk voice now. To, just that's a thing I need to keep in the back of my head. Drive car. <laughs> Ray Chase Steel Girl. Ray, Ray Ray Chase have many girls in coma. Ray Chase. Oh. Ray Chase. Oh, now I'm sad. Damn it, Noah. <laughs> okay. Ray Chase know all I, about I, your I, little I, jerk off fantasies. Oh god, why? Ray Chase so fucked Ray Chase so fucked up! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ray Chase walk around in dressing woods! Oh boy. Okay. Ray Chase have dungeon full of women in fairy tale movies! Oh god, you know, I, I forgot. I thought we were going- oh, yeah, I did think we were going to mention Evangelion at least once in this show. In this episode. This wasn't the reason I thought we were going to talk about it, though. No, it was not. Okay. Ray Chase touch people and turn them into Tang. You know what? I needed this laugh before I started this segment because... Oh, you're going to need it when I start. Absolutely. fucking -lutely. I'll keep Goto's pretty simple. Ray Chase is a fascinating actor to me because he is... He is like 30, I think. And... I think I've heard him play as many convincingly older-sounding men 
as I have teenagers at this point, which is the fact that he can pull both pretty goddamn seamlessly is really impressive. He's so convincing as this kind of character, and he has that level of like, like that of like snakiness and like something about the tone of his voice sounds arrogant and detestable. That it's really just, but in a way that's like I do see this person as a real person. And I think Ray Chase does a solid job as, Go as Goto. Now let's talk Kyoko. You almost said Goku for a second, and I was like, Ray Chase, power up Spirit Bomb! Ray Chase, Spirit Bomb is a... F that is a fun image now. Okay. Now, Kyoko. When I first watched this show, this is a character that stuck with me. And I wanted to find out why, exactly. To put- uh, there's a lot of things I could describe about her character and thing, but there's a couple of words to describe what Kyoko is to me, that I think sum her up pretty simply. She is... intoxicating. Bewitching. And basically... a siren. She is somebody whose appearance and the way she initially acts essentially drags you in, draws you closer, before dragging you down and drowning you. That, to me, is what Kyoko is. A siren. And as for Lauren Landa, she sounds so scary and sexy, but really unassuming. Terrifyingly, like, entrancing to me. Like, I, I say this like I am attracted to her, but I don't say, like, I'm attracted to her like my waifu or something like that. It is like, I am, I can't look away from her. Would and you compare her to, like, moths to a flame kind of intoxication? Moths to a flame, but like I said, the metaphor of she is a siren to me. And that she is... The way the show frames her is just that. She is, like, seemingly beautiful, mystifying, but she is so, so fucking scary. Everything she says, and her character, her tone, psychologically, like, chilling, manipulative. It's so cold and, like, like almost flirty in a sense, but it's just so... It's so tinged with bitterness and anger and the fact that Lauren can pull this off and make it sound so believable and real it's so terrifying entrancing and it scares the shit out of me just also a lot of the things she says just the things she says to Ray to mess with Ray it's like you're going to put an old senile dog out of his misery no one wants to take on an old man. Maybe you throw the match since you're such a nice guy at all. But the fact that she is pushes people away and also, like, demands attention says so much. Like, the line when she kind of, like, sneaks into his room. Don't touch me, but stay close to me. As she's basically, like, hugging him, like, as she's falling asleep. And... This one I find fascinating because of the way that that Kyoko says this. Both Kyokos. Because Momo calls her a witch at some point. Which, 
I, uh, I actually really wanted to talk about that line. You know what? I will let you talk about that line, then. I no, you can finish your thoughts, but that was something I really wanted to talk at about. At the very least, I want to quote the line. I'll let you talk about it. The line she says, If I really was a witch, I wouldn't be in such pathetic shit. The, the relationship with her and Rey is so strange, strained, and complicated. But what's also kind of fucked up is that Ray does still care about her. Because why else would he get angry about her with Goto? Is that he does care, but he's so, he so hates the way Kyoko makes him feel and the way Kyoko acts about him. And how she says, "Are is this family taking care of you? Are you trying to screw up another family? It's the idea where it's like, he hates it. But why does he want to keep hearing it? She is... She is personified every single one of his regrets and insecurities. And the whack that Lauren Landa plays this character in such a way that haunts and entrances me in the English language. Fucking commendable. Megan, I take this to you. Alright, so let's get through Goto really quickly, because I have less to say about him and more to say about Kyoko, which is got- I actually got physically, like, I started cursing out Andrew when he told me it was Ray Chase, because I got duped again. I thought it was Jameson Price for a split second, and he's like, oh, nope, it's not Jameson Price. I was like, who is it? And he goes, I want to save it for the episode, and then, he, then I, we were kind of talking more and more, and he was like, okay, I need to cheer you up. It's Ray Chase. I was like, god damn it, fuck! Um, fuck, fuck this, god damn it, not again! You, fuck on your cow! Fuck on your hat! Bullshit. Bullshit! Dishonor on you, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. Um, but no, like, he is everything that everyone has said. And he's also... I want to say the show implies that he's also abusive to Kyoko as well. Um, and that he pushes and pulls her away because he's obviously cheating on his comatose wife. There is some sense of... Goto is cheating on his comatose wife with Kyoko, whether it be sexually or just emotional intimacy. But, I mean, um, I mean the, the line about, like, he, he flaunts it, too. Like, he flaunts that relationship by saying directly to Ray's face, hey, uh, you need to tell that girl who's, she's continuously stalking me. You need to tell your dad to, you know, put her on a leash or whatever his line is. It's like saying, hey, your sister is hot for me. Doesn't that just bug the crap out of you? Bug you. Yeah, and like everyone said, uh, Ray's performance is so much grounded in reality where it doesn't, like Cam, it doesn't put a him into cartoon, uh, cartoon villain. And um, after the segment, I'll kind of say a thought about them. But for me, Kyoko is the hardest character to watch on screen in this entire show. And this is nothing against it. And Lauren Landa's performance magnifies it to a level I didn't expect for it to magnify me to. It is everything, like Andrew said, she is an intoxicating siren. She is a moth to the flame. But she's also incredibly real. And there's something that's just frightening about this character. In that she's willing to pit Rey against society and Ray against his own heart and his own brain because she both hates and loves him all at once. 
stay close to me, but don't touch me. If I was a witch, I'd have my, I wouldn't be in such pathetic shape. Do you think I'm a witch? She baits and goads this poor child into fights he cannot win because you can't beat your own heart. And the show frames her into being sympathetic. Like she is broken. I believe they use broken glass as as something that she is this this wine glass that has just been overfilled with the expectations of others and her father and there I I know we kind of touched on this in Coda's segment about what he feels for Ray and the idea of like did his own family of shogi players do this to him I mean is there an expectation of sexism towards his own daughter like she, she, because she's the only female shogi player we see in the entire show, by the way. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, because after um, we saw her, and then we jumped back to the shogi hall, I, it, it kind of stood out to me as a viewer. It's like, there's not a single There's woman no women. In any there's no women in shogi. Like, there are no women in shogi besides Kyoko, and she was forced out by a man. Essentially by a boy who, and her own, her own father, and Lauren really gets that bitterness in her performance with, again, it not going to a realm of cartoon, like, villain. Like, Kyoko is not a good person. I don't care how sympathetic the show tries to make her out to be. She's not a good person. And I I guess I'll lead this into, and this is something that is, this is why it's so frightening and intoxicating. And it's, it's, it's weird that I'm going to bring up Harry Potter for this. And it, and it was an argument I had heard a long time about why is Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter such a, such a, like, convincing villain. And someone said, well, yeah, Voldemort is cartoony and out there, but there are always going to be Dolores Umbridges in your life. Like, Umbridge is real. They are manipulative people. And for me... As, as weird as this is going to sound, um, something in Lauren Landa's performance reminded me of one of my sisters that I don't talk to, who did a lot of things that Kyoko did. And I remember the first episode Kyoko came on the scene and it was pitch black. She's demanding to get into Ray's apartment and it's just so frantic and I could not stomach it it was the hardest thing I had watched in such a long time I hadn't I and this has been a weird year for anime where I felt my stomach drop only like that twice in anime and that was the end of episode 9 of Devilman Crybaby and the first time Kyoko comes up on screen and in March comes in like a lion and it's no I've made no secret that Christina V is probably going to be my choice for best performance in a drama. This year nothing has I I hate to be rude to every other uh, voice actress out there including people who may be watching this. Um nothing has really gotten close to me for her performance as Miki in Double Man Crybaby. 
but Lauren Landa's Kyoko was such a close second for a female performance. It is powerful, intoxicating, maddening, and yet so fractured and you want to dig into more of this character in this role in this performance but the more you dig down into it the more terrifying it becomes and the more you can't find yourself escaping and it's just something that I didn't expect for a performance in the show because I was I, I did not know I don't know a lot about the show, and it just, it, it blindsides you. There's there's a lot of depressing imagery and, and stuff, and it just, it's at that point where she gets introduced that a lot of, some of the hardest imagery to look at in the show is also introduced. Um, I believe in the same episode when you meet Kyoko is when you start going through Rei's backstory, um, I, I know that I, I would want to save this for Rei, but... I just the scene where you see a young Ray inside the morgue with his parents and his little sister's body covered up and you see the baby sister's hand just sticking out and I was shocked that they would go to that imagery and the vocal performances and the music behind it like just holy shit um that being said, I think I've said my piece on Kyoko and Gota, and I would like to get to two characters who I have much fonder feelings for because they're actually good people. I think we would all really like that. And now, moving on from that, it's time to talk about the ultimate ray of sunshine himself, Harunobu Nikaido, and his brother, question mark, who is anything but... Kei Shimada. These characters are really interesting. Nikaido is basically Rei's self-proclaimed rival, but he's also kind of like his best friend, and he's extremely passionate and into the game of Shogi. And Kei Shimada is effectively somebody Rei considered a nobody, because... Let me at least explain partially how his introduction works. Ray was tempted to essentially get a rematch or like face off against Goto in a game of Shogi. But first he had to beat some other guy who was some no-name that he didn't care about. He didn't care about that person who was an A-ranked player. And that A-ranked player is Keishimata. Basically being an A-rank means you're one of the best players. That is, like, one of the highest ranks, and this is somebody yeah, not to be true. for reference, uh, Ray is a C rank. Okay, right. Uh, these are really interesting characters, and probably some of my actual favorites in the show. They have really developed arcs, they're very diverse, and especially near the end, we learn a lot about, uh, Shimada, especially, who Ray starts kind of working under and helps him out as he does the title match against basically one of the best players in the association, Shoya, who we're not talking about, but he is voiced by Todd Haberkorn, by the way, FYI. The, 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 it's funny, like, when he spoke, I spent, like, a good two minutes debating if it was Todd Haberkorn or Vic Mignogna. 
<laughs> you too? Yeah. He was like, I'm not Holy sure. shit! I had the exact same reaction! I was like, wait a minute! It's funny. I can't- Now that makes- now that makes the token- the Katsugeki token Rabu thing even weirder, because Todd plays Vic's character from Hanamaru in that show. How does it always All right. circle back to token Rambu? How do we always circle back to this? Everything comes because back to- that's my real house, you motherfucker! It's a but all the roads lead to token Rambu, motherfuckers! Everything leads to token Rambu! I've got eight Nendroids sitting on my books over there! <laughs> Don't try her. Don't try her. Sword. Oh, glory to the swords! <laughs> <laughs> I I, we're gonna be in a nursing home in like seventy years from now, getting ready to die, and as out of nowhere, Megan's gonna pop up in her wheelchair and be like, "It all came back to Token Rambu." You know who else is ready to die? Keishimada. Who plays Keishimada? I'll tell you who plays Keishimada, as well as very good boy Nikaido. Uh, Keishimada is voiced by Kirk Thornton. Kirk Thornton, you'll have heard as other characters as Shiro Fujimoto from Blue Exorcist, Kisame Hoshigaki from Naruto, Don Patch from Bobobo, Klein from Sword Art Online, and Atsuchi Yadami from Anohana. Y you didn't say and the title correctly. Anohana, the flower we saw that no, day? No, no, no. It, it, right, right. I know what you're going to say. It, it's not Don Patch from Bobobo, Bo Bobobo. That's my boy. Happy? Always. Yes, now, playing the role of Harunobu Nikaido is Zack Aguilar. Zack Aguilar, you've heard, heard play such characters as Sieg from Fate Apocrypha, Colt from Hunter Hunter 2011, Kataki Uno from Gundam Ironblood Orphans, Arthur. He's dead. Actually, he's not. Arthur, Arthur Pendragon from Seven Deadly Sins. And Genos from One Punch Man. Is a robot. Now, there's a lot to say about these characters, so let's go in our order. Jet, what did you think of both Kirk Thornton and Zach Aguilar as Shimada and Nikai? Okay, um... So, honestly, I knew that if this show ever actually got a dub, because I honestly did not think it was going to get a dub, but I figured if it did, Kirk Thornton was going to be Shimada, because... Shibata felt like exactly the sort of character. Like he, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Did you say Cork Thurden? I probably, I, I, pro I probably did. I just, okay, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, Shibata felt like the sort of middle-aged figure that uh, Kirk Thornton was known for in his heyday, and like I feel like I haven't got to hear him in much recently. Uh, but I was very happy with how this turned out. Now he gets across Shibata's kind of tired attitude really well while. Um, also showing, you know, this kind of, like, quiet determination underneath the surface. And he manages to make, like, all those, like, those few moments where you get to see Shimada be, like, really passionate about something come off of incredibly satisfying. And, uh, and, I, and I really like all of his interactions with Ray, how he, you know, how he definitely becomes this sort of, like, mentor figure to him. And I, and I also like all those little moments where you get to like kind of see some of Shimada's anxiety and Kurt Thornton plays all that really well too. And um, in a sense it really kind of felt like, you know, it wasn't like Kurt Thornton was playing this character, like Kurt Thornton really was this character. And uh, it's always great when an actor can achieve that kind of surgery with a role, so I really appreciated that. Likewise, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by Zach Avilar as the kind. I would say it's uh, definitely not the uh, sort of uh, typical role for him. 
Um, so far, Zack Aguilar has played, you know, mostly like either very soy characters or very quiet characters. So seeing him cast as the loud, energetic guy was a uh, very interesting change of pace, and I really enjoyed it. Um, from the second he kind of hits the screen, Zack really sells like his utterly hyper personality. And, you know, he manages to make him sound really funny and really likable almost instantly. And he does all of that without ever missing a beat. Um, that energy also carries on to, you know, a lot of the Kato's War series moments. And I especially really like um, the strong chemistry he has with Ray and the actor who plays Ray. I found a lot of that to be really believable. And uh, while I honestly wasn't really sure about the casting choice when it first came out, like, I was, I re recall it all the same and be like, wait, what? Uh, but. <laughs> Uh, not only did I like this, I'd actually go so far as to say this is like easily the best performance I have ever heard from Zack Aguilar, and uh, he really needs to get these to play these kind of characters more often. I it was great. Alrighty, uh, Jet, not now. Wait, you just went. Hang on, <laughs> Noah, Noah, you are not Jet. Please continue. I'm not. Are you sure? My life is a lie. I thought I was Jet. All now, the what time. did you think of the characters, smartass? Well. I'm glad that, um, uh, you mentioned before that, uh, Nikauda is, like, one of the best characters. Honestly, if you watch this show and he is not your favorite character, you are, your heart is just not in the right spot. Because this, this little ball of sunshine is so welcome to the show. Well, guess I have a black heart where my hole, a black hole where my heart should be. You know what? That's fine, because this guy will fill that black hole with cats. He will fill it with dancing shogi cats, and your black hole will turn into Okay, we need to talk about the Nyan Nyan Shogi song, because... Yes, 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 yes! Let's just briefly talk about... Okay. The, he okay. he is so, so passionate for the game of shogi that he creates an entire, like, children's coloring book by no, himself. No, 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 it's not a coloring book. It's a pop-up book. It is, right. it is an okay, interactive no. pop-up book that is self-published that... It gives gives the different the different pieces of a shogi game the personification of cats to describe what their characters are and what parts of the board they can move in because just like chess individual pieces can only move in certain parts of the board and of course the end game goal is to get the king so and not only that this show gives like a cg animated song for all of the pieces several times throughout like a couple of episodes. But in a way, that kind of exemplifies what Zack gets about this character because um, if any of you have spent any time on Twitter in the past at all, you know yes. that fanboys are awful. They are the worst scum on earth, every single one of them. <laughs> so, to have a character... This took a sharp turn. To, so, to have a character who is a huge Shogi fanboy and wants to teach others about it, wants people to enjoy it the way he does, that is amazingly refreshing. He's not super defensive of the game that he loves, and he does not make others feel bad because they're not as good at it as he is. He loves it, wants to get better at it, and wants to spread the gospel of it to everyone else. So he helps the younger sisters in the show learn the game, and by proxy teach us as the characters in case we didn't know how to play it to begin with. And Zack gets that. He gets this peppy, rich motherfucker who just fills the entire show that, to be fair, is full of depression, just fills it with joy and happiness. And he became my absolute favorite character, which is weird because 
when we first meet the character, we're introduced to him committing a federal offense. So I thought he was going to be a bad guy, but no, everything has to... Is it federal offense in Japan? It is a federal, federal offense, offense to open the, uh, someone else's mail without their permission. Don't do it, people. In the U.S., he, not in Japan. He makes up for it by giving him a goddamn futon in his very sad, empty apartment. And being his best friend. He, and being his best friend. <laughs> he could serve as his own nightlight. <laughs> <laughs> so he, yeah, he's such a great person, and God bless you, Zach, for that and for one other major reason I give Zach full props on this performance. This character, if you're looking at the image on screen, yes, you, get back in this tab, look at the picture on screen, it, it's a, he's a big guy, okay? You know, he's a, he's a big, he, he big he's boy. A, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. There is some dubs that have taken larger characters and given them, uh, like, a stereotypical fat guy. Hey, little witch! Kind of like in Little Witch Academia. I knew you were going to mention that, Megan. And this character, this guy doesn't do this. Just because you're large doesn't mean you have to have, doesn't mean you have a stereotypical fat guy voice. I've met some big guys who have high, higher pitched voices who don't have like that stereotypical. Hey, hey, it's Fat Albert time. Where's the shogi? That kind of voice. <laughs> God damn it. Hey, hey, hey! Bray Chaser Smash! <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. Noah, can you do that? The Fat Albert voice, but in the, doing the Nyan Nyan Shogi voice? Nyan Nyan Shogi! I haven't even seen that show. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Noah. Shit, that was beautiful. Oh, God. I need. <laughs> Thank you. Well, 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 I think we lost everybody. What, what more can I say for for, uh, for Jet? Are you okay? <laughs> I'm okay. No wait, I'm not Jet. I'm okay. No. Wait, but if you're Jet and he's Jet, what? You're you Jet. You get a Jet. He's you jet. Get a jet. He's Jet. Everybody. I'm Jet. Is anybody else in here Jet? Now. I'm leaving. All right, back to the point. Back so, to, okay, so, okay, for uh, for store brand Totoro character, he's a good boy, and I'm so glad he's in the show. Um, doesn't really leave me a whole lot more to say about Kirk Thornton's performance, but I have one really big thing to say about Kirk Thornton. One, he's awesome. Two, I like the uh, the voice he gives him, the um, uh, almost audiobook narrator quality to him which uh, makes his character sound much, um, much more professional than some of the more vernacular voice characters in the show. And three, he gives us my favorite line in the show that exemplifies what tone the show is going for. Um, in one part, he's describing his backstory about how he got into Shogi. And he describes how in manga and games and novels, the ending always came too quickly, but with Shoji, it just kept going. And that is exactly what I felt like watching this show. It's not a show that has a resolution anywhere in sight. I feel this show could go on for hundreds of episodes without the characters developing, like resolving their main conflicts. But that's okay because you're just supposed you're just supposed to be enjoying what them reveling and exploring their mentality and trying day by day to get better and better. Just like a game of shogi, because shogi games can go for hours if the two players are good enough at it. It takes it can take hundreds of moves to finally win a game. Just like in Or eventually they end up on a night on the Galactic Railroad metaphor. <laughs> wait, 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 when do they do that? 
the very the end. The very last episode where they're going, where the train. Oh my god, you're just right, watching this right, on like, my rewatch. I actually realized several of the characters they show going on that train are characters that you see and learn about in season two. Yeah, that was too. I mean that one. That was a, the one shot where, it, yeah, it, it's an outer. The space train and all the Shoki players. Several yeah. of those are people who never showed up in season one and are like people that Ray faces off against or you learn about in season two. And I found that neat. And Todd Haberkorn. And Todd Haberkorn. <laughs> Uh, with Kirk's performance, um, Jet was definitely right in that it reminds me a lot of some of the middle-aged guys that Kirk uh, traditionally plays in his heyday, uh, played in his heyday. Not to say he's not still in his heyday, it's just that he has, uh, you know, hasn't been cast in as much stuff recently, and it's, it's really good to hear a, an older voice again. That's a one really big thing I can praise about the show, is the fact that we've got a mix of veteran and newbie voice talent making up the show together, and all of them are on equal playing grounds in terms of talent. All right, Megan, how do you feel? Uh, I, for one, am surprised that they did not get Guillermo del Toro to play Botero. <laughs> That's not who he was based on. I will tell you who they did get to play Botero in uh, the Japanese, since I think you might be interested to know. Oh, yeah, it's the guy who plays Bakugo. It's uh, Nobuhiko Komodo. Oh, you did know that. Cool. Yeah, I looked it up last night. I was like, oh, this is a Nobuhiko Komodo Andrew, character. Do you, really do you know who you're talking to? Do you, do you not think that this woman wouldn't know all the Seiyu for this? Actually, yeah, no. I wouldn't have actually put him as Nikaido because essentially, like, this is a somewhere, at least for me, for Nobuhiko Okamoto, somewhere in the range between uh, Rin, Rin from The Exorcist or Rin, depending on how you say that name, um, a little bit between that character and a little bit of um, Yoichi. That being said, for Zach Aguilar, I'm used to um, Zach Aguilar playing characters like Sieg from Fate Apocrypha, who is uh, not somebody who is more soft-spoken and more naive to the world. Um, also, because I want to make Noah mad, um, he's going to be playing Horikawa in Anaplex's Token Rabu Show, who is also very much in the same realm as Sieg. See, I can do it with everybody. Don't underestimate my fucking powers. Is there powers. anybody not in the dub of Token Rambu ever? Noah, no! We're gonna be here Eric all night! Vale. We're gonna be here all night! Shut your well, whore Eric mouth! Eric Vale, Joel McDonald... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but for me... Um, but for me, on my end... Uh, Nikaido... I have to agree with you guys. I loved Nikaido's voice. Um, I would say Nikaido is actually my third favorite male performance in the show, however. Um, I, I want to focus on because he's my, probably actually my favorite male performance in the show because he's also my favorite character is Kai Shimada. I love Mr. Shimada as a character. Mr. Shimada to me is who should have, who should have taken in Rey from the beginning. And Kirk Thornton nails playing this character. He gets the un—he gets something that is so unseeming about this character down to a T, which is really hard to do. Because like Ray, you don't really think of Mr. Shimada as this huge deal to the show at first. But Ray's life really actually starts to change for the better when he loses to Mr. Shimada and starts being with him more. Because I find it really... And, and Kirk and Ray Karayama's actor 
play off each other so beautifully in their performances when Ray is taking care of Mr. Shimada while he's sick. And as somebody who also has awful stomach pains, dude, I feel you, it's the fucking worst. Um, I love everything about this. There's subtlety and nuance that you don't think there is, and his arc comes to such a beautiful conclusion. And, um, for me, my favorite scene with Mr. Shimada is when they're, uh, right after they leave his hometown for the big shogi festival that they're gonna do where they play human Live shogi with action role-playing shogi first of all one we do actually do human combat chess in the united states that's basically what they yes. do. we also do cosplay hs at conventions yes and if you ever want to see the best cosplay chess at conventions look up metrocons they are the people who do it the best sorry fight me anime boston um okay i have watched Okay, I watched a year where they had the guy from Detroit Metal City take on Haruka Harahara. That sounds amazing, <laughs> but I, I want to pick your brain about that later, but we we should kill- I'll send you that year, because that was the year that was ninjas versus samurai, and it was like Mitsuro Kigurugi okay. versus Naruto. So, anyway, back on point. Um, for me, the moment that really, really shined for Kirk is when they're leaving the town, his hometown, and they give him a bag of food, and he's like, you guys know that this is always too much. I can't eat all of this. And they said, it's okay. The people, the old people of this town will never change. And essentially, then he realizes that. He's like, yeah, I know. And he's gonna, he's like, it's okay. I can start from square one again if I want to be changing. And I thought it was just so beautiful. And I'm gonna let Andrew take it from here. Okay, yeah. Um... First off, I'll go into uh, Shimada as well, because his presence in this show, you genuinely do not expect it, because Ray doesn't expect it. And you're seeing that entire match through his eyes, because all you see for a while is he's so dead set on his revenge match with Goto. Like, he's going to own Goto that he just has to get through one other punk-ass guy who's not even a concern. And then he realizes... This is a legitimate opponent. This is a top-tier player. And the moment it's kind of clear, when he finally starts struggling, he actually looks up at this person for the first time, and he's just like, you finally looked up, huh? And it's... That's the way we are first introduced to Kai Shimada. And his character is really interesting, is that he is somebody who... He is, like, probably mid-30s or something. Maybe almost 40. He looks like he's in his, like, 50s to 60s. He's always stressed and, like, tired and crippling stomach issues. But he gives his all when it comes to the game of Shoki. Because this is what he loves. This is what he did. And this is the life he lives. This is the life he chose. And it's interesting is that he sometimes reflects what his life would have been like. He, he has a dream about the life where... He gave up his professions like he had a family he stayed with in the country and stuff and that simultaneously both options of dreaming of the life that you had to keeping the life you currently have are both equally terrifying nightmares is fascinating his character is so interesting kirk thornton's performance it's very understated it's very kind of 
The character itself is very tired, and I actually think Kirk does a really interesting job making him sound like naturally like tired and more subdued than I'm usually used to, but I think he does a really stellar job convincing me of this character and their struggles and how they're real. I think it's a very understated performance by Kirk Thornton, but I think it's one to be admired. Now let's talk Zach Aguilar because holy shit. I genuinely still cannot believe this is Zach Aguilar. Like, I think when I first heard it, it was like a mixture of Popo and Robbie Damon. As in Popo, I mean Keiji Tang from Anohana. It was like a mixture of those two voices, because I was so was not used to Zach Aguilar, because I'm so used to him playing these quiet or stoic people. And hearing him play this giant ball of energy, comedy, and light caught me by surprise and he's damn good at it i'm so used to like those more dramatic edgy roles of his but this is a side of zach i've never heard and i need to hear more honestly if this is what this guy is capable of i'm really going to be more invested when i see zach attached to things now for sure like i already liked his stuff but now i'm like i need to see what you're gonna do next and nikaido god he could have been like an asshole rival character. He could have been like the annoying best friend, but he is just a ray of sunshine and lollipops. I love him, but he's also like this really sickly character who this is kind of all he's really ever been able to get to do. And that's really interesting and tragic, but the passion and love he feels for this game is real. I also really love characters who are rich, but don't flaw but don't, like, flaunt that they're rich in, like, an arrogant way. Like, he is not rich, and he does not act like he's better than anybody. He just has a lot of money, and he just really likes Shogi and wants Rei to do his best and not half-ass things. Like, he wants Rei to try. He forces Rei to try. He tells it Shibata to beat his ass because he's been getting arrogant and, like, losing his way. And that's really interesting. Hot damn, I'm impressed. I'm very, very impressed. And Botaro, you are a very good boy. Now... So here's the ultimate question then, Andrew. Would you buy any Kaudo plushie? Oh, fuck yeah. Oh. Is that even a question? Now, Can they make Mr. Shimada ones? Because I'd buy a Mr. Shimada plushie. Get on that shaft. You want a Daki Makara of a, like a... Uh... No! Not a Daki Makara, you freak! But then you can you can hug him and like make him feel better and tell him everything's going. There's to only two men allowed in my bed. One of them is my boyfriend. The other one's my Kaneki body pillow. You freak! <laughs> Please tell me we got that. Please tell me we got yeah, that. We got <laughs> Megan, Megan, you know we love you, right? Just guy who at one point on the phone to me said, I guess I'll spoon roots at aphids. <laughs> hey, that's out of context. That's not fair. You went I there. Have... You went. You opened that can of whoop-ass, you little shit. Guys, guys, it's okay. We'll all spoon each other. On the spoon train. Jump, jump. <laughs> Hop on board the spoon. Not on the galactic spoon Get train. On Night of the galactic on... spoon train. Get on no, Night of the galactic on spoon. The spoon coaster will Night of the galactic spoon. That sounds like a really good Legend of the Galactic Heroes like Dojin. Night on the galactic spoon. 
Does it involve it involves Reinhardt bending over here, Shike? <laughs> Probably. Now, back on track. Oh god, that Donkey Mockero line is staying in there. Oh yes. yes, you bet your uh, ass uh, it right, is. Okay, Megan. we're we're not talking about the the mailbox of sunshine. It, it, it's time to talk it's about time. the <laughs> It's time to talk about the it's other time. entire ray of sunshine. That is the Kawamoto family, Yay. specifically the the trio of the Kawamoto sisters, which includes the youngest one, which is Momo, the middle child who is a, I think middle school senior, is Hinata, aka Hina, and Akari, the older sister slash I can't believe she's not a MILF. <laughs> I don't care if you judge me. Akari's a total fucking MILF. <laughs> I'm right! Not soiled this character's good name. Just, just, just take that picture of Hannibal Barres. Why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> Why would you say something so bold yet so controversial? <laughs> <laughs> this is, okay. This is why we can't have. Blood. I'm sorry. Shaft Milf has nothing on Kyoto Animation Milf. I mean, fair, but look, I... have you seen Rin's mom for free? Holy shit! <laughs> yes, I have. Anyways, as oh for... god, she can she can hold that judgmental cat any day. You know, Boys, you, speaking... you guys keep. I want trigger milfs instead. That's what I came for. Mm. Anyways, trigger milfs. Oh, trigger milfs. Oh, so you're okay with Ragio Kiryu and stepping on your dick, ain't you, That's Noah? what I live you for! You know what? Megan? Noah? Hold that thought. Oh my this. god, I just... <laughs> I just May oh, let's hold this thought. Okay. <laughs> let's what I get to let's, let's get... Let's go in order. No, go, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Let's go in order. Momo is played by Xanthi Wynn. Xanthi Wynn plays such characters as... Miyuna Shiodome from Alone the Sea, Fuyumi Yanagi from Bloodlad, Nagisa Momoe from Madoka Magica Rebellion, Sachi from Sword Art Online, and Mako Honma, aka Menma from Anohana. Playing Hi Hinata or Hina is Kaylee Mills, who you've pl heard play such characters as Fiore Yugida Millennia from Fate Apocrypha. Fiore deserves better, you stupid show! Runa Yomazuki from Kakegurui. Miyu Aikawa from Occultic Nine. Retsu from Hunter Hunter Phantom Rogue. And Sayaka Ogata from Sword Guy the Animation. And Akari Kawamoto is played by Laura Post. Who you've heard play such characters as Fubuki, Blizzard of Hell from One Punch Man, Toko Yadami from Anohana, Miki Okudera from Your Name, Nozomi Tojo from Love Live, and. My man. <sighs> World Can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? Mother. Megan. Megan. Yes. Yes, you can. Ragio, mother of the fucking year, never. Kiryuin from Kill La Kill. Hey, Noah. She's going to put you in a little baby outfit. Oh, God. And that took it to a weird, kinky place, and I'm going to drop that. There's a child character involved, so put on your earbuds. Jet, please talk to us about the Kawamoto sisters. Okay, um, 
Well, some moments, it's like, that's pretty much the easiest. Um, it can be really hard to do, like, a blue little girl voice. I mean, cause, I mean, I know it's anime, like, you, you have actresses who, like, uh, little girls all the time, but it can be, it can be really hard to make that sort of thing sound believable, and it's, and it's especially difficult when you're doing, like, really little kids, like toddlers. Uh, but, uh, Zen, Zen Huid really managed to make it work. And, uh, I think part of what helps that he is that, um, in, I, I, I guess one of the things that would normally be understated, but it, like, really helps that she gives Momo, like, you know, this kind of, like, little, like, child lisp that kind of helps, you know, kind of helps, you know, make her sound a little bit more like a child, and, uh, they really did a lot to, you know, make the character sound a lot more adorable, and it was super cute. I, I really enjoyed, like, every time Momo was on screen, it, it, it sounded really adorable. Um, Laura Pose's Akari was, uh, very interesting for me because, um, Especially in the beginning, because uh, when I mentioned like earlier when we were talking about the direction, how I said like some of them maybe like sound a little bit too anime for like the first episode or so, uh, she was probably like the biggest offender for me because at first her Rikari sounded like a little bit too high bits and cute for me, which I mean you know normally that would be fine, but it kind of broke my immersion a little bit because. You know, this is supposed to be like a more like grounded kind of drama show, so like the high pitched anime girl voice felt a little bit out of place. Uh, but eventually she did kind of, you know, manage to make it sound a little bit more down to her. And uh, after that, I pretty much stuck it, and she really made Akari sound very warm and motherly. Yes, I am. I really liked how she interacted with her sisters, I really liked all her interactions with Ray. Yes, as I add, um, and, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, really warm and pathetic. Uh, but, uh, the setup for me here, though, was Kaylee Mills as Hina. Um, did a really great job of making Hina, you know, also sound very, like, normal and cute, but also coming off as, like, a very beautiful preteen. You know, especially, like, all the little things, like, her doing with her crush. And, you know, all those little things like that. I thought that whole sequence was really cute and pretty funny. And uh, I also really liked like all her interaction with Ray and how, like, and how, and like how out of all this issue, like, like Akari is the one who kind of helps Ray in the beginning, but it, but in a lot of ways, Hina is the one who, like, Hina is the one who kind of like comes with you a lot. And I kind of appreciated that. Um, of course, a real test for her is going to be the second season, because yay, that's God, I'm so excited. Yes, because woo, two. the second season is actually getting done, and I'm. Uh, Really looking forward to seeing how she handles that character arc, but uh, yeah, all these ladies were fantastic. TLDR, she probably has like one of the best arcs in the show. Noah, talk to me about the Kawamoto sisters. Oh my god, could we talk about these sisters all day and night? I okay. Um, while I was watching this whole series, I was making a lot of mental comparisons to the series Your Lie in April, and. Uh, came around around the same time, have a lot of the same parallels about um, depression, stagnation, uh, high school development, a lot of those things as well. And one of the bigger things that I, I drew a comparison to was the balls of sunshine that brighten up the day even as they have their own struggles to go through. And that is exemplified so perfectly in the sisters here because the Kawamoto sisters have a lot of problems in their lives. Like their parents are gone. They live in a very small house all together. They're you know short on money. They can't. They're not allowed to spend on too much because they got to take care of themselves. And yet, and yet, they just exude happiness around them that that makes this entire depression ball of a series 
so much more enjoyable. And I'm the only complaint I have about the, the way the show is written is that they weren't in more episodes. Like, I would have been perfectly happy if they had been in every episode, but plot reasons, they're not in every episode. Uh, Momo uh, by Xanthi Wynn is, uh, like you said, Jet, given this very believable uh, list, this almost uh, slurred vernacular way of speaking, and as someone who has an actual five-year-old in the house as well, who is, you know, still developing intense speech patterns, uh, that's very similar to how actual uh, kids talk. They're, you know, still developing their worldview or their speaking ways uh, by imitating how the people around them talk. But that's, uh, it's very surprising that Xanthi was able to convincingly portray that because uh, she is not a five-year-old, but she plays one very convincingly. Kaylee Mills' Hinata is, oh, God, I just want to give her a hug, the poor thing, and going through a lot of the angst of a middle schooler who doesn't have all the best luck in the world, but yet, you, yeah, really feel for her a whole lot, and uh, I'm trying to think of like anything that I had to say that was bad about Kaylee's performance, but I can't think of anything. She, she flutters all over the spectrum, actually, uh, in terms of she can be downtrodden and somber and depressed when she burns the food and then she can be re she can have like uh what's that proper term there's a term for when you cry in an anime and it's not a sexy cry it's not a a pleasant cry it's like a, a, an ugly cry where th that's how people actually cry when they're really depressed it's not drills you lose your intuition and you just completely your heart has broken and then she also goes all the way into happy modes when she is like thinking about, I want to make up sweets that have all of the toppings on it. We're gonna put sweet potatoes and strawberries with cream whipped on it, and all of that performance put together. Kaylee really makes it a lot of fun to listen to. And then there's Laura, who, yeah, really big difference from some of the other roles we've heard her in before. Um, I actually, when first hearing this, the first thing that went through my mind with Laura was uh, she sounded slightly higher than. Uh, than her natural speaking voice. Like, I wrote down that it sounds slightly falsetto, and that uh, she seems to be putting on almost an act of more um, more cutesy than she actually is. But throughout the entire series, like, she's got this uh, persona of someone who wants to take things and make them soft and fluffy. She likes to take in strays, which is why... And make them fat. Make them round and fluffy. And that... But that's kind of... Uh, that, that's kind of a really believable character trait. It's someone who's... Uh, maybe feels lacking in their own life and wants to substitute that feeling of emptiness in their heart by making other people feel better, which... I also love how she basically kinda takes in Ray. It's it's such a kinda dark scene, but it's fascinating to me. Teaches Ray how to, how to purge. It's, he was essentially the whole thing that she jokes about basically like taking his money and like forcing him to drink is like that's something that apparently happened to him because he was basically tr like so drunk on the street and like sickly and she brings him home and like helps him and that's fascinating and that says a lot in that one moment about who akari is as a person i mean it's a it's a necessary role it's the kind of person that we all like, if any of us have been blessed to have that kind of person in our life, whether it be, like, 
an aunt or a godparent or a, just a good friend or even that neighborhood lady who's a little crazy but just makes your day a little bit better. We all have our mom-chan, though. We all have our mom-chan. We all have our mom-chan. And Akari is... I'm not going to say she's MILF material. No, no. Because she's too pure and too innocent for that. But she is wonderful mom-chan material. Andrew would totally get an Akari Dakimara. God damn. You, I, you know what? I shouldn't say yes, but I'm not going to say no. That doesn't help. <laughs> no, it he doesn't. He pleads the fifth. I plead the fifth. But the point is that Laura Post is very good in this, and it was refreshing to hear a role, uh, a voice of hers that I don't think I've heard before. Like I might have, and I didn't realize it with her playing it, but I've never heard her play this, uh, this maternal with a slighter, higher pitched voice to her uh, performance I before. All right, Megan. Damn it! I can't bring this back to Token Rombo. Fuck. Oh, God. so I can bring it back to my my sh other shitty mobbage, Love Live. Ah, she found a way. Uh, she did. Now, anyway, so let's go. Let's go about Momo first. Um, Momo was adorable. Like little kid. I I don't have small children around me daily. Um, I I mostly try to avoid children because I'm a I'm a bedroom gremlin. If I don't have to leave my house, I the better. The less I leave my home, the better. I like not going outside um but that being said xanthi really gets across momo's adorable precociousness uh like when she bites the cats for some reason <laughs> I'm hungry. by the way shout out to i believe one of the cats is sarah williams uh shout out to the actresses who play uh the uh kawamoto kitties they are hilarious i'm not sure who plays I'm not sure who plays who, but every one of them is just amazing and hilarious. I want to say they're Feymata and. Um, I think they're people from Sarah the cast. I think they're people from the cast already. I, I don't. They were. They were the best. Um, but yeah, no. Like a lot of everything is said about everyone said about Momo. I want to. I just want to reiterate as well. Um, also, B. I would now like everybody who was on the Anohana episode to imagine Ma Momo saying, "I'm not ready yet" in her voice. Um, oh god damn it! I don't I want to think about like that, Megan. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> did Andrew just leave? I think he did. <laughs> <laughs> did he just like get up? And leave? I think he did. <laughs> anyway, while well, Andrew is gone, and I can just talk. Sup, bitches! I'm back. <laughs> damn it! Did you really just get up, slam your door, wait, and come back? Yes. <laughs> oh. This is almost as funny as the time you scared your dog fake masturbating. <laughs> um. why, why do you never bring context into this? <laughs> context is for bitches! And now you listeners have to go listen through all 120 episodes to find exactly the moment she's Find what episode? Except for all of you who have watched every episode of the show and know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> Seven more. Um. That was one of the, my favorite nights ever recording, so... Um, Please continue. Uh, no. Uh, Hina... Kaylee Mills as Hina reminds me how much I want to hear Kaylee Mills in more anime. Like, Kaylee Mills is fantastic, and I like that she gets to play a character who doesn't get screwed by the plot. Um... So, I'm not saying whoa, who, but she has a character that gets screwed by the plot in my mind, but she really gets a lot of Hina's 
emotionality down and like like Noah said the all over the spectrum I still can't believe she's in love with baseball playing hot Sonic the Hedgehog um I also like when she finally when she goes and shoves the Inari sushi into Ray and just like take this and eat it and in front of Kyoko and then Lauren Landa as Akari get a girl who can do both I love that she's maternal, and then I also love when she just has, like, these fantasy moments. Like, when she's freaking out about Nikaido being fat and round because she likes round, fluffy things. And that's too worse to describe Nikaido. And Hina's like, yeah, sis has a thing for round, fluffy things. And I was like, oh no, please don't take this to a bad place show. And, and when she's at the bar and she has that, like, slightly, like, edge to her, it's like... And then whenever she complains about money, like, she is, like, a mom. And it reminds me of a lot of a more down-to-earth Nozomi from Love Live. Because Nozomi was also kind of the maternal, like, kind of all-knowing one. Except for Akari grabs boobs lust, which is thankfully, like, so much better. Uh, so I'm gonna pass it on to Andrew. Okay, so, uh, I'll go into these performances first, then I'll go into a quick, quick little thing about the sisters before we get to our final character of the night. Uh, Momo, first and foremost. Santhi is so goddamn cute, man. Just, every time she shouts for Botoro, it is the cutest thing in the world, and I love it. When she's playing with the kitties, and when she's just all sleepy, and... She's so happy to see Ray, but I also do your best, Ray. Oh God, listen, Ray, do your best is such a cute, amazing moment. Ray, Ray. But also, she is a child who gets really scared by like little things. Like she's scared by Kyoko, but she also gets scared by like a very hyperactive dog, which I love in the show <laughs> that they give <laughs> they give you a monologue for the dog too, where it's just like, little girl, I want to play, I want to play, love me, love me, I love you, I want to play. But then like he feels sad because he kind of scares her because she trips and falls, and he's like, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, little girl. It's like, ah, that's great. Was that in the sub? Yes. Now, was also, uh, did they also give, uh, did they have voice actors saying the names of the sound effects as well in the sub? Yes. It's it's less apparent because you hear it in Japanese, but that is exactly what they're doing. Okay, because I'm not used to them doing that in a dub. Fluffy! Yeah, no, I, I understand, I understand. But I think that's what they do in Japanese. But Xanthi is, Xanthi's great. And I do love the little list she gives. Hina... Kaylee Mills is somebody who I've already kind of determined, I really like you and I want to hear you in more things. And she's going to be in more things we will cover in the future, hint hint. But this is the first time I've really seen her play such a strongly emotional leading lady to me, and I love everything she does. She's really good at these really comedic, dorky moments, as well as also be kind of bratty. But when she brings, like, the emotional beats... She's so on point. Like, episode three. She cries good, and God. I... That's where I started crying. Oh, boy. Believe me, too. And Akari. Like, I'm not even going to joke about the fact that I find this character very, very attractive. I've said my piece already. That said, Laura Post is spectacular. This is not... I'm really not used to Laura Post playing such... 
like, warm-hearted characters, so it caught me by the surprise. Her voice, I genuinely could not tell it was her at first, and just this warmth and this, like, maternalness is so great, and she's she makes these moments work, whether they're funny, whether they're dorky, whether she's, like, kind of motherly or, like, trying to be sexy when it comes to the club, but the one that gets me the most, episode 11, when... They quite literally kidnap him when he's sick, where it's like, okay, it's like an operation almost, like a military operation. It's like, we're going to roll this thing, we're going to check your things, we got all our clothes, we got all our masks, we're going to take you to the doctor. If you got the flu, you're getting quarantined. If you got a cold, you're coming back to our place for some warm fucking food. She gets shit done, and she is kind of amazing for that, but what I love about that is she kind of basically makes him realize that... He is wanted. And it is not just like, he is not just somebody who is like a burden on the, this family. It's like, he is like loved and he makes their life better for being there. Just the scene where it's like, I can't thank you enough for being here with us. And it, it just how much her life has changed because he's there with, with, oh fuck. <sighs> just how much her life has changed because he's there too. Like, when I first watched that, that was the one that really first did it to me and, like, made me start crying because that is not something you're always quite aware of and it's such a powerful, beautiful scene and the way Laura delivers that is fantastic. The Kawamoto sisters are really interesting to me in contrast to a lot of the darker, heavier, almost suffocating moments of the show because the contrast of Ray's own life or his own room is empty, cold, and dark. And every time he's over at this small, crappy, old little shack with these three sisters and their grandpa and their bunches of cats, it's so warm and comforting and like you want to stay there forever. And the show does a really good job with those characters and making that mood come across that it really hit, hits me hard seeing that stuff, man. Really does. Uh, it, uh, Andrew, you know about the backstory about these girls, like what actually happened to their parents, right? They mention it briefly in season two, yes. Okay, alright, so the idea that a lot of the characters who we've talked about in the past, in this episode so far, have crappy backstories just have like the absolute worst parental experiences or family experiences or just awful experiences in the past but then you get these girls who also had bad experiences and they turned they, they didn't take it as an excuse to be bad people themselves or they didn't continue the cycle of abuse they took it as an excuse to not make be others suffer in the way that they had to suffer and they want to make other people feel better instead they want to be better, it's, and I think that's amazing. It is. It's goddamn inspiring is what it is. But yes, to Xanthi, to, to Kaylee, to Laura, and to the grandpa, who I can't technically mention because he does not have a list confirmed listed English voice actor, which I want to give major props to both the grandpa and whoever plays him. You're amazing too, and I love you, Gramps. I love the scene where it's like, I don't care about my kids, and then Momo hands him a thing. It's like, look what I made. Oh, you're the sweetest, greatest girl in the world. It's like, oh, I love you, dorky grandpa. And now, 
Friends, it's time. Oh, God. It's time to talk about Ray Kiria. Hang on, hang Seven. on. Hang on. I gotta open a new bottle for this. Alright, everyone take a shot. Ray Kiriyama. Hello, and is my old friend. <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot to say. I'm not even going to give a introduction. Let's just go into who in fact is the one who plays Ray. The one playing Ray in English is none other than Koi Dao. Koi Dao has played such characters as Brian Brandon from Be the Beginning, Flat Escardos, and Merlin from Fate Apocrypha, Kanosuke from Katsugeki Token Ranbu. Ha 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 ha! He's the talking fox! Guy Ogata from Sword Guy the Animation, and Chaka from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders. I also discovered he's the main kid in Detective Pikachu, by the way. I don't have anything to add, I just- I wanted to bring that up, because I had- I was amazed. Now I just imagine KG Tang sticking his door down and being like, Come on, kid! <laughs> okay, um... So this was my first time ever really hearing Koi Dao, and uh, I was pretty impressed with him. Uh, Ray is a pretty interesting um, first lead, first leading role to have, since um, so much of the character is centered around this like overwhelming feeling of depression and anxiety, and um, Koi Dao handled all those heavy emotions really well. Um, well, Ray does you know get like all uh, like you know really big dramatic role, which you know like. I mean, you know, like, what you kind of expect what a drama, you know, like, all these big, I'm giving up my emotions sort of things. Um, he's really good at, you know, just handling Ray from scene to scene, all these, like, quiet, like, all these quiet moments, all when he's, you know, when he's, like, narrating about Ray's depression, all those little things, and he handles all that really well. And whenever, like, and whenever Ray does get, like, any, like, really big emotional moment, he handles that, too. I, like, um, I really appreciate that moment, like, after that one game where he beats like this boy's guy who's like, you know, he's uh, like dealing with something. I know exactly which one you're talking about, and I want to go more into that when I talk about him, but I know which one you're talking about. Uh, I mean, he can do those like really big moments too, and he like, and he can also and he can also be like pretty kind of funny and what he needs to be. And, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of felt mixed about you know Ray having comedic moments and supposed to be. Again, again, you know, like, serious depression stuff. But, so, I mean, but hey, I mean, you do, I mean, but hey, it's not like you can't laugh all your friends, so I, I appreciate that little bit of realism. Uh, but, uh, anyway, I was, like, really impressed with everything Toy Dow did here, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more of him in the future. I can't think of anything negative to say, so, excellent job, Toy Dow. Noah? So, um, I've been holding in this thought throughout the entire episode. Um, and by the way, if you have listened this far into the episode and you're still with us, congratulations, you get the secret code word. And the secret code word for this episode is soft-boiled egg. Because I don't like this character. Yes, I, I've been saving this for the entire series, for the entire episode. I don't like Ray. And here's the problem, here's the reason for that is because when I watch a series about a character who has depression for whatever reason, whether it be because they had a traumatic experience, or a chronic problem, or the world's just been crap to them, whatever have you, 
I like to see a series where the character is making some attempts to improve their life a little bit. To not make their life as awful as it is. Like, even even an absolutely dirt-awful character, like the lead character from, uh, from uh, Saito from Welcome to the NHK, he at least is trying to improve his own life. He fails miserably at it, but he's at least trying. This character does not. He continuously spins the hamster wheel of the same bad decisions. Bad, he doesn't take care of himself. He is continuously pursuing the shogi dream that is not get. He's not getting as far as he wants to because he's still at C class, even though he was one of only five people who became professionals by middle school. All of that, he is not moving forward at all. By the end of episode 22, he has not really progressed much further in getting out of the slump he's in. So, why do I bring all that up? Because Koi takes that awful human being and makes me not really hate him as much. He takes all of... He takes a craggled and timid voice to personify the, mon the internal monologues that we get and makes it a very too-close-to-home personality. I have experienced, like, I have lived part of this guy's uh, experiences before. Uh, starting off in college, for instance, I had this, this same mentality of, okay, if I can just get to the next stage of life, I can take care of myself, and I won't need to burden my, or I wouldn't burden anyone else with uh, my own problems anymore, and then not succeeding at it because it became much more difficult than I thought it was actually going to be, and then stumbling and needing to get back up again, and then repeating some mistakes over and over without seeking help from other people who needing it. And Koi gets that. He gets the pro the internal problems that this guy's going through. And he keeps going throughout episodes and episodes. Like, imagine 22 episodes of being the same... Like, Okay, you've seen the last two episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Imagine that stretched for 22 episodes. Just the same... Okay, so... I'm in a I chair. Am, I, I am... I am actually going to disagree, or I'm at least going to want to mention two things one you said that this show kind of moves at its own pace and i think here's the thing he is trying i see that he is trying but it is a long tough process of how he is going to process that and i'm also trying not to play the season two card as a thing but Season 2 card is the thing, and let's put it at that. I understand. Secondly... I'm just going by the first season. Does your frustration come from the fact that you... Your frustrations are that you dislike him or that you've been him? Yes. It sounds a lot like you're frustrated because you've been him and you've been through the process, but you're frustrated because he has yet to really complete the process. All, I just... Yeah, yes to all the things, and I... I agree that as uh, as professional analyzers of any medium, it's important to understand where your own personal bias is affecting your analysis of what you're watching. I can totally, I, uh, watching this series, I fully was saying to myself, this is getting a little too personal, this is getting too relatable to me. And it's not the kind of thing that I would normally seek out watching, because if I wanted to watch something about, I wanted to watch a character who had the same problems, I would want to watch an arc where they would, where you would watch them triumph over it, or at the very least, stop getting warm. at the end. It's self fulfilling. That's yeah, and that's not really what I got out of the series. I, I'm not saying that they wrote it badly because obviously that's what they were going for was 
exploring the depravity, not the depravity, but exploring the depths of human misery that he's going through. But just to talk about the voice acting, just to talk about the voice acting on this, there's some amazing lines that uh, Koi is given that he pulls off really well. I can't really imagine a better way to have directed him. Like, he doesn't have a cartoonish voice, he has a lower, mellower voice that portrays all the monologue pieces. And uh, like Jet said, he also has his cartoonish moments too, where he like they liven up the moment a little bit with him being uh, like surprised by things that happen. Like, what do you mean we're best friends? Or like, this soft boiled egg tastes so good. It's just rice and egg, but it tastes so good. And that's a very necessary part of the show because if he was downtrodden all the time, then it would be an absolute dirge to watch and would be very difficult to recommend to other people. So, yeah, of all the things I can say about how much I didn't enjoy watching this character throughout the show, regardless of whether or not you think he's actually getting better throughout the first season, I have to give full props to Koi for taking that angst of a human being and really, really translating into English really well. Megan. There's a lot of things I could talk about with this character. Um, and we've been here for a really long time, and I do apologize for how long this is, but this is a very dense show. One of the things I want to... And, and whatever Jet and Noah have said about Koidao, um, I, I fully agree with. Um, I don't agree with Noah, though, about his arc and how... And that stuff, because as somebody who goes through a lot of the same stuff as, as Ray. I can see that, for me, it's not as frustrating that he's not getting over it, um, because it is something that takes a lot of time, too, and he's still very young. He's, like, what, 15, he's 16? He's 17. Just turned 18. 17? Okay, I'm... Yeah. I'm 26, and I still haven't figured that well, shit out. I'm not saying, I'm not saying so, it's not... Uh, believable. It's not even realistic. It's very... It is, but it's frustrating from a it story It is very aspect. frustrating to watch, and uh, this may also go back to me marathoning the show. Don't marathon the show, people. Yeah, don't marathon, marathon this marathon. fucking show. It's hard. For once, Noah was this the guinea pig. A... For once, Noah was the guinea pig. I'm always yeah, your guinea um, pig. This is a... One of the things I really want to talk about that Koi Dao gets across as Ray is guilt. And you're saying, okay, what does he feel guilty for? Um, this is another aspect of my life, so welcome to getting personal with Megan. Um, Ray's adopted, guys. There's a sense of... They attribute it to a cuckoo bird. Who worms its way into the nest of another bird. Kick, when it hatches, it kicks out the other eggs. And then it forces that parent to take care of it endlessly. And the scene where Ray sees that as a child for the first time is so gripping. And, like, even I still feel a little bit of guilt towards my own parents for how much they've had to take, like, them taking me in and taking care of me. Um, obviously, my parents are nothing like Coda, don't worry. Like, I have good parents. My parents are fantastic people. Um, I'm not- this isn't one of those, like, blink twice if you're being kidnapped thing. Um, even then you can't see me blinking, because I'm on it. I'm- we're on the internet. Um, but there's something so captivating to Decoy's performance that's 
almost like a mirror to Lauren Landa's. Where Lauren Landa as Kyoko was so violent and turbulent that you couldn't look away like a moth from a flame. There's something that is so hidden and and small and you want to watch the fire grow as opposed to being engulfed by an inferno. And that's, to me, what makes it so good. Like, Koi Dao is to be a force to be reckoned with for years to come, hopefully. Um, I hope that he gets as big as, like, Robbie or Bryce or Max Middleman. Because Max Middleman, he, he reminds me, this performance um, reminds me a lot of Max Middleman's Kosei Arima from Your Lion April. Where when Max did Kosei, this was before he blew up as Saitama. As Saitama. Um, so I'm hoping that this blows up to make Koi a force to be reckoned with because he makes Rei a force to be reckoned with. If, if like I said before, with um, it's a good thing if an actor makes a character who is unlikable more unlikable because it's, they've done a good job uh, amplifying that unlikability of a character. It's also a really good job when an actor takes a character, like in Noah's case, where that art, that story arc may be frustrating, that character might be frustrating, but they bring an approachability to that performance in their performance. And I think that's what Koi Dao does best. He gets across a lot of the things that Noah and Jet have already said, as well as what I said about being able to do guilt and just internal hate, self-hatred and self-loathing that eventually starts getting whittled down by the people around him to be like, maybe I can rebuild myself one step at a time and he starts making an approachability at a small fire that is kindling that will become something more robust well said alright now as for uh, Koidao I think he I heard him as a couple of things this was going to be the one that was going to put him on the map for me that I was really going to probably be very, very, very curious about to see how he pulled off. How did he pull it off? Pretty spectacular. He does the drama aspect of it stellar. He does the comedy, which I think the comedy kind of works for the show, honestly, because you kind of need that, that brevity in between. And it is amusing to see him essentially have what is basically deer in the headlights moments where he's just all panicky and sweaty and screaming where it's like even when you take out like the dramatic stuff that is still amusing and i think the way koi delivers those is great but all that has been said aside what was gonna make or break this performance for me was episode 10 episode 10 being the one where he has the match with a basically drunken down has been who is about to have his final games about to split with his family he wins the match because the guy kind of sort of gives up halfway through and he's sort of angry at ray for losing and fucking that up for him and the build-up to that scene is amazing because it's quiet 
it's like you could hear the wind, some leaves rustling, and you just hear some of the him walking. There's no music. It's quiet. He's walking for a while. He's walking. He's walking. And then the music kicks in, and then he starts running and running and running and running and running. And then he goes to a lot and screams. And just, I love the line he gives. The line is, is it all my fault? Tell me what I should have done. Go to hell. Don't choke. For me, everything's on the line. I don't have anything left, damn it. Shogi's all I got. If you run away, if you can run away, then why? And this is the first time he is so viscerally angry because he always usually keeps it internal or lets it out or it's like a more comedic thing. This is the first time he's truly frustrated, annoyed and angry and screams his heart out. It's such a powerful, gut-wrenching, emotional catharsis and then when he finally falls down at the end, he starts crying. If Koi didn't nail this, I would not have been a fan of him as Rei Kiriyama. Guess what? He fucking nails the landing. God damn it, Koi Dao. I'm impressed. I want to see you in more things tomorrow. And with that, I think it's time we do a wrap-up thoughts. And... <laughs> You're right. This is the post-match review. Jet. Post-match review. What did we learn? Andrew would totally have a Dakimura of the oldest Kawamoto sister. And Megan would not have a Dakimakura of Kei Shimada. Yup. A lot of things we learned tonight. But Jet, what did you learn tonight? Okay, um, so like Andrew, I had actually seen the show dubbed. And, I mean, lots of shows dubbed. Um, okay, and uh, like I briefly mentioned earlier, I did not think this show was going to get some. I mean, it was going to get them. You're like the autocorrect on my phone right now. Okay, like, okay, it's late. I'm, it's late. I'm, I'm tired. Please turn your jet on and yeah. off again. Okay, but yeah, I wasn't, I honestly did not think this was going to get down, like it seemed like the streaming numbers were too low, it seemed like too much of a thing, but, and what surprised me, they dubbed it, and, um, it's a, and it's a good dub. Um, like, I mean, I was a little bit, um, mixed on the series that I watched, like, the first season of Seven, because, like, I liked the show, but I wasn't, like, totally in love with the show, I had, like, some problems with, um, you know, the direction being, like, too shit-throwy at times, and, like, really slowly paced, and, yeah, I mean, and sometimes it felt like it was a little bit too much, and that's what raised that space specifically. Um, but what, with going back and watching the show dubbed, um, I have to say I really, I really enjoyed the first season a lot more, so I was expecting from, um, a second viewing, and, uh, and uh, part of that was part and part because this was a really strong dub. Yeah, so, I mean, I expected it to be a pretty solid dub, I mean, I enjoyed what I've heard from Wedding League before, and I mean, all the actors here I knew were pretty reliable, but um, they turned out to be a lot more fantastic than I thought it was going to be. There are a lot of really natural side performances here, like, everyone's really strong all across the board, and it really did a lot to make me appreciate the show more, so, um, to Wendy Lee and the rest of the cast, I have nothing to say, but, like, well done, this is really fantastic. Noah, 
Post-match review. Go. Well, I don't want uh, to come off like I didn't enjoy the series. Um, I had many good things to say about uh, the overall experience, and if it weren't for the fact that um, some of the uh, characters' actions just struck a bit too close to my own uh, stupid decisions from the past, I probably would give this a much uh, higher recommendation. Uh, but what I can say about the overall uh, dub for this is that uh, this is one of the series that I don't think I could have... I, I forgot that this was uh, in Japanese originally, and that's what I look for really in a dub. I look for a, ser for a dub that is so natural and uh, uh, so um, strong to listen to that you completely forget that you're even watching an anime. And to be fair, the art style kind of lends that to a bit of forgetting it as well, because this is a this is a very unique looking series that really lent itself a lot more excitement to wa to watching people play games of shogi which uh if you're if you're not a chess person or a shogi person then you're like why would you watch this at all definitely watch this for the intense emotional uh beats of the characters and for the uh rather unique metaphor the visual metaphors that the direction employs to emphasize what they're thinking like you'll have a character who has in a sea is swimming through the ocean just trying to get to an island as a metaphor for them trying to get to the next stage of um of shogi levels they're trying to get to or battling against uh crashing waves come which uh signifies their uh rivals just crushing them in the battle of the game all of that makes for a much more interesting experience from some pretty sparse material to begin with would i watch it again I don't think I would, just because I've seen the same emotional high points in other series before that had a bit more catharsis to the um, near the end of it, like maybe feel like some things were resolved a bit better. And I understand that there is a second season of this that will probably develop the events much further than this first season did. But as it stands right now, I have no qualms with the way it was directed in the dub, no qualms with the actors or writing, high praise for the writing, a lot of really great lines in here. I just really wish, I, I wish that I liked the show better than I ended up doing in the end. Megan, post-match review? Post-match review is I will never watch the show again. Um, not because it is bad, but because it is too close to home as evidenced by a lot of my emotionality in this episode. Um, the dub of this is beautiful. The dub of this is captivating. The dub of this is anxiety-inducing, depression-amplifying, and warm and tender all at once. It's a show, if you had a hard time watching it, getting through the Japanese, it may make it easier because it's in your native tongue, but that also comes with the high risk to trigger anybody who is sees this as a little bit too close to home. This isn't a show I can recommend to people who people too openly. Um, I had op uh, as of the day of this recording, I had admitted on Twitter the night before that I had finished season one of the show, but I put it with the strict warning that if you are easily like and, and everyone's gonna laugh in the comments that I'm like oh ho triggered and stuff like no I legitimately mean this people have emotional triggers to them that will cause reactions this is a show that could easily do it for certain people 
just because we are recommending the dub of the show, do not force yourself to watch March Comes In Like a Lion if you cannot handle it. And do not binge marathon this show. This is not a show where that is going to help you. This isn't a dumb, this isn't like DXD where it's dumb and stupid. Or in or a a blood blockade battlefront, which has some heavier emotions to it. This is something I would put up there with like orange, where if this is a subject matter that is too intense for you, don't force yourself to watch it because you want to engage in conversation with us in the comments or if you see us at a con. Just like. That you are under no obligation to watch them. Mm -hmm. That being said, those of you who have watched it and enjoy it and enjoy the dub, um, it sucks that this is an auto. It's great that this is an Autoplex dub, because Autoplex has not done dubs. I have wait stuff I've watched from Autoplex that are dubbed. I've never had real issues with, but it sucks that the price point for this show is so high. So thank God it's streaming, which is how I watched mm -hmm. it. Wendy Lee and Marlon did an amazing job. The cast and the crew, like, they made this something that was a tour of for a, a force. It's a force of a dub. And especially this year, where there's a lot of really good high-profile drama show dubs, this is up there with Devilman Crybaby with, um, I haven't seen Violet Evergarden, but I've heard it's really good. It's dub is really good. Um. It's up there with a lot of them. It's a, up there with a lot of the drama a, dubs. Oh, right. from Just a this strong year. year for dubs in general. This is, mm. yeah, this, like, we haven't gotten a lot of clunker dubs this year. And we're only except halfway. For, except for one. It, except for we one. We haven't had a... There's one clunker Will dub. we cover it? Tune in to find out. Anyways, um, uh, no, Andrew, uh, Andrew, I mean, you are the final review. judge. Post match review. Okay, so basically, TLDR dub is amazing. It's a strong, interesting, unique cast. The the direction, the writing, all these performances are so strong, so good. I really like it. This is a show I've been wanting to talk about for I think two years now on the show. I wasn't sure if this was gonna get a dub so glad it was this is a show i feel like really conveys the feeling of being in this headspace a lot more earnestly and openly than i think i've seen it covered in a lot of media i also think that all of these really interesting uncomfortable subject matters they they, they are i've they are portrayed like real situations and real people which is interesting to me like it, it is hard but it fascinates me but this is also a show that like as much as it hurts me it kind of gives me hope and makes me feel like j just those moments where it's like that i realized ray felt belong like he belonged and he felt like he could, he really mattered to somebody. Our, and man, that did stuff for me, man. 
This is a show that was kind of near and dear to my heart that I've wanted to talk about, and it, I'm really, really happy that it's dub. It's really, really good. God damn it, I, I know this was tricky material, but I'm so glad you guys were able to cover this with me. This was... This is what I've really wanted to do for a while, and I'm really, really happy. Thank you. You will always be welcome in our welcome. house, Andrew. <sighs> Make sure you serve me some good Japanese food, you son of a bitch. Well, we can't do that, but we will serve you good barbecue food in Texas. I'll take it. And... Damn it, I started chewing, and then I realized I had to continue. <laughs> mm. So, if you also would like to... Uh, watch more of us. You can follow us on YouTube at the Dub Talk Podcast. Remember to subscribe and click on the little bell. There's a possibility you might see us in your inbox maybe someday. As for other social medias, you can find us over on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram, as well as a Twitch channel we sometimes use for like big con gatherings and the like. We might use that more. As for where you can find us, uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Mongman9000, where I do a lot of posting about anime stuff. Everybody accuses me of being horny on main, and I just... You are. I it's am, but that's beside the point. Twitter's algorithms wants to put his likes in our feeds every day. True. That really is frustrating, but either way. Uh, you can also catch me over on uh, Podcast ONA over on Surreal Resolution's website, where I, where I talk about a lot about anime news and the like. Where can the lovely people find the rest of you out there? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dago, where I will uh, usually be talking about anime, cartoons, or some nonsense. Um, I'm also currently uh, hosting a group on called Your Digimon, where we are going over um, the individual Digimon series um, in chronological order based on what is legally available. Uh, we are currently at the beginning of uh, Digimon Frontier. We're on episode two. Best season! Uh, if you're interested in um, jumping in on that. Um, you can also... Um, I also occasionally write some stuff on my blog, Average Infinity, and I also do reviews for the fandom posts. I'm currently reviewing My Hero Academia Season 3 uh, for this season, and like Andrew, I am also on Podcast OA, where we talk about these and stuff. Uh, Noah? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at NoahClue, where I will talk, where I uh, rant about the animation industry and how uh, real cartoons aren't uh, uh, nobody watches real old cartoons anymore um, I've been reading a lot about like the history of animation recently there's some really interesting things out there that it's just like completely lost to the sands of time that we need to resurrect or else I'll uh, I'm uh, flaunting pictures of my animation collection for people to validate my interests or uh, if you want to follow me on my YouTube channel, it is Journey Traveler, which I need to update, which I am writing stuff for to work on. Wish me luck. I may actually be able to start producing stuff for that to make videos about real cartoons, just real animation from all over the world, and not just the Japanese cartoons that we talk about here. And Megan, where can we find you? You can find me over at Twitter on at QueenEra2, where I mostly shitpost. Uh, and that's it. That's all I do. Cool. Oh, wait. You also post pictures of Luna. 
Shinya. Sh Shin oh, wait, right. Luna's the one. The other one. Uh, it's Shinya and Bailey and Maka, right? Yep. Two dogs, Bailey and Maka, who Bailey is one as of the day of this recording. Happy um, birthday, Bailey. She got her doggy ice cream. Oh, so. that's great. And she's also fucking fucking narc who, like, pops over the couch and looks like, Hi, son. Were you out smoking weed till three in the morning? Um... Yeah, you can follow pictures of me, my animals, my daily life, my whining, um, my depression-based whining, uh, as well as you can just hang out with me on uh, the Funimation forums and the Funimation Discord when I don't feel like leaving and stuff. And as of recording this, by the time this goes up, we should be pretty much into the midst of the uh, Annie Song uh, original soundtrack insert song tournament, so yay! That's gonna be fun. All right. And with that all, uh, this match is concluded. There's only one thing left to do. <clears throat> Sing the song. Hulk smash! Ah, got a... Ray Chase smash! Oh! Ray Chase Shogi! Take it easy. Aloha!